This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Hey, welcome in, everybody. Once again, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 on the road. And this is a cool trip down to Daytona. We are at the Daytona Stadium for a little high school football action. One more game left, at least for the Jacksonville teams in the 2019 season. It's the Bulls Bulldogs playing for a Class 4A state title. So we are live until 6 o'clock here at the Stadium where the Bulls Bulldogs will play Booker T. Washington out of Miami. Tough task. I think Bulls would be considered an underdog in this one. But what a season for Matt Tobin in year number one. So we'll talk a little high school football with this as the backdrop here. Action Sports Jacks. Austin Lane back in the studios along with Coos as well. We'll have some special guests today. Martin Buckley from Palm Beach Autographs stops by. Be interesting to get the gauge around the holidays of the sports memorabilia business, especially when it comes to Gardner Minshew as of late and the Jaguars, because Palm Beach Autographs did a private signing with Gardner Minshew. I'll be interested to see how those things are selling as of now, especially with the holiday right around the corner. And uh, Philip Fulmer, former Tennessee Vols coach, will join the program. He will be in Jacksonville today because Tennessee is taking part in the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl against Indiana. He'll join us at 4 o'clock. Of course, now he's the AD, but he's down here in Jacksonville representing Tennessee, and he's going to stop by uh, the program before uh, they have a news conference around 5.30 downtown. And Ryan O'Halloran will check in, and we'll talk a little NFL, of course, around the league, not just the Jacks. Anything to distract us from the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, these days. What's up, Austin Lane? How you doing, man? Nothing too much, man. Back in the studio, nice and cozy in here. And I'll say this, like, I know people are kind of hating on the weather right now. I absolutely love it because it feels like I'm back home in Wisconsin. Like, just, you know, kind of cloudy and dreary a little bit, but it's nice. The, the, the temperatures are prime right now. Yeah, well, this is like dark and dreary. This is the way it is up north for about four months. Yeah, this is this is life up north right now. So yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, hey, what's the farthest uh, you ever went in your high school career in terms of postseason? Were you guys good? Did you go deep? Oh, uh, you're a small town, good. so. Yeah, we were good, man. Um, we made it. The highest I ever took part in was we made it to the sectionals, which means if we would have won that game, there was one more game to go to state. And unfortunately, we got beat in a close nail biter at the end. Uh, but when I was in high school, there was a team called Stratford. And once again, you know, we're D, we're D6 here. So the way Division 6 works is it goes D1 through 7, and 7 is the smallest. So it kind of sets the scene of how small Iola is. But in our division, there was Stratford. And at the time, Stratford, I believe, had won five state championships in a row. So like they were the team to beat all the time. That's interesting. Uh, it's always good stories to tell, and the Bulls Bulldogs have obviously won a ton of state championships. They've had many a story to tell, but this is a new era in Bulls football with Matt Tolblin, and so a chance today to uh, round out their high school career, at least for the seniors and some of the young players, to maybe get a couple of these things along the way here in Class 4A. So uh, we'll talk a little high school football. Always uh, fun memories being made. The last team standing, of course, from the Jacksonville area is Bulls. I'll take on Booker T. Washington tonight at 7 o'clock. We'll have you covered on the TV side on CBS 47 and Fox 30 all night long as well. By the way, Austin, I am in the Bulls coach's office right okay. now. Like, this is like I'm office. Uh, this is kind of their, where they're setting up shop, the coaches, you know, mm-hmm. where they'll call the game from. So, if you have any uh, suggestions for Bulls, we could certainly, like, leave. I'll leave a piece of paper 
and say like what play to run, like second play of the game or, or anything like that. So if you have any coaching well, tips, I'm sure they're really interested in what we have to say. I'm glad you asked, Brent. Uh, I want you to find the nearest coach right now, grab him by the arm and says Austin Lane, uh, former pro- professional Jaguar and other NFL, uh, you know, player on different teams has a couple of advice, you know, has a few things for you guys. Number one, stop the run. Number two, run the ball. And there you go. Simple enjoy your that. state championship. Yeah, enjoy your state championship. That's it. Stop yeah. the run the ball. Stop the run. Yeah. Uh, well, they'll see if they can do it and uh, and make some plays. All right, midweek here in, in for the Jacksonville Jaguars and listen, they're going out west. The West has not been won. If you were the Jacksonville Jaguars, <laughs> it's yeah. been a very tough thing um, for the Jaguars to compete out there. In fact, the uh, last win at Oakland in 2005. They only have a couple of wins out west on the. Uh, Pacific time zone to begin with. They did get a win earlier this year in Denver, so that was close to the West Coast, uh, the mountain time zone instead, and that felt like a feat in itself, and now as we look back, that was a feat, <laughs> just yeah. getting a W. But uh, how hard is it to play out West, man? I mean, why is this such a problem for teams uh, most of the time? Now, I often think if you're better than a team, you're just better than a team. Sure. But there have been times where the Jaguars have been good enough on paper and just stunk it up out that way. We just saw the Chargers come east, and they had no problem with the Jags. Zero problem. Yeah, I, th- I think the biggest problem, at least when I played, was the fact that you're going from the east coast to the west coast, and you have to deal with that time differential, right? Because, say, you get up in the morning at 9 o'clock here, well, then it would be, what, 6 o'clock in Oakland right now, correct? And if you got up at 9 o'clock in Jacksonville, yep, it's yep. hours, yeah. So that can kind of throw your, your whole routine off, like, when you eat, because we're all creatures of habit, especially professional athletes. They like things done a certain way. They wake up at a certain time. They eat around the same schedule. You know, like they they go through the routine at a certain schedule. And anytime you add the, the the whole time change to it, it can you know it can throw it up a little bit, especially guys that aren't used to it. You know, I mean, there's some guys who have been in the in the game for eight nine years now who are, are used to playing like that, but there's some guys who aren't really accustomed yet. So I think that's probably the biggest difference um, in terms of why you can't have a lot of success sometimes going from east to west or west to east and the other side. But I guess my question for you here, Brent, is obviously it sucks you have to travel across the country, right? And the Jaguars are out of playoff contention, so there's not a lot to to watch and cheer for. But is there any part of you that's excited, I guess, to try to see a game in Oakland one last time, or does that really do nothing for you? No, I think it is kind of cool. Uh, yeah. You know, I haven't really thought about it too, too much, but when the schedule came out, we made note of it. And we're going to see the final game in the Oakland Coliseum, and that is uh, a place that has a ton of history, obviously. Uh, we we went to a game years ago, I, I've explained it before, where we had the week where we went to uh, play San Francisco, the Jags did, spent the week around the San Jose area, and then... Um, flew up to, no, that would have been the Oakland game, I'm sorry, but we stayed in the San Francisco, San Jose area more so than Oakland, sure. but they played the Raiders okay. and then stayed there the whole week and then flew up to Seattle, so it was like a nine-day trip out there, and uh, I took my wife on that trip, actually, and so she is still scarred from the black hole, <laughs> like she is scarred from be. Oakland. Like she For does sure. not want to go back, like no, at all. They, like well, she can't. She hopes they blow that place up. She yeah. she hates it. Yeah. Um. So, but I'm a little bit like I've got a little bit of that in me. You know. I mean, I, I like, 
I, I, I'm interested to see the scene. Will they rush the field? Will they take seats out? Will it be chaotic? Should yeah. I have a bodyguard? Yeah. Uh, it, should I fear for my life, depending on the outcome of that thing, too? Sure. But I think the atmosphere for a team that's 4-9 and nine in the Jags and a team that's 6-7 and seven in the Raiders and reeling right now, I think the atmosphere will be incredible for that kind of football game in December. It's too bad there's not more on the line. But uh, I think it's going to be really entertaining, and quite frankly, it's probably the highlight of the remainder of the season for me, actually, to see the game and the final one at the Oakland Coliseum. Without a doubt. You know, I mean, I've had the privilege to play in a lot of cool stadiums and interact with a lot of interesting fans, you know. And when I talk about interesting fans, Oakland is by far at the top of the list with the black hole. And especially kind of like their going away party, their last time playing in Oakland. I mean, it's going to look like a gothic, hardcore Coachella or something, man. Like I honestly can't imagine uh, what that atmosphere is going to be like. So, uh, best of luck to you. And uh, if you need anything, give me a call. <laughs> I'm thinking of like for our countdown to kickoff show in the morning uh, for for that game. Now it comes hours and hours before kickoff because of the way the West Coast time works. But uh, I am thinking of wearing the spiked shoulder pads yep. and face paint. Now we're talking. Are you signing off on that? Well, wait. So you're going to wear, like, obviously teal spike shoulder pads and, like, teal and black face paint? Or are we going just Oakland Raiders here? I mean, I, yeah, I guess that's a good point, but it sounds like a lot of work to get the teal ones. I'm just going to borrow the black and silver. I was going to say, uh, unless you're rolling with about 20 security people, I would probably just wear the black and not go with the teal because you might get jumped, Brent. So from that perspective, uh, I'm going to co-sign on that, man. I mean, you, you rocked the cowboy hat. And I thought that was crazy enough. So why not wear the spike shoulder pads with the, with the face paint? I think Jags fans would get mad at me if I do that. I mean, at this point in time, I think everybody's trying to find another team. Uh, I think at this point, man, I don't think Jaguars <laughs> fans really care what, what you do right now, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I think they're more mad at the team than anybody else. Let's well, just say that. You'd be surprised. I mean, I'm last in line. Middle fingers after the game, I got some middle fingers in the parking lot. So you'd be surprised. Now, like I said, they feel like you were just doing a bit for your YouTube channel, uh, even though you just played in the game. That was sure. probably most people flipping you off at the at the end of that game. I guess so, that. man. Trying to, trying to get my brand up a little bit, I guess. I don't know. Hey, here's the deal, though. One more thing about the, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about it as the week goes along, I guess. But the, the crowd and, and the atmosphere in Oakland. Yeah. And Raiders fans in general, which is a is an underrated fan base. And I say underrated just because the Raiders have been somewhat irrelevant for the last decade and a half, mm-hmm. if you think about it. I mean, maybe a blip here or a blip there, but they've really been irrelevant. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the Knicks are an unbelievable organization, but they've been on, uh, you know, if, if they win. But they've been so irrelevant that they're not even top of mind other than laughing at them. So uh, the fan base of the Raiders is is enormous. Like we we always say like the Steelers fan base is huge, right? Sure. Maybe the Giants. Well, the Raiders is massive. So much so that many people don't think this move to Vegas is going to be that crazy for them. There will be enough people in Vegas that will go or make the drive over from different parts. It's central enough where you'll get this uh, flood of Raiders fans adopting the team in Vegas right away. And I've also I've been very um uh, I've admired the Raiders fan base for the way they've handled this. They've pretty much sold that place out. They've been rocking at the Coliseum, even though they know their team is leaving. There's two ways to do it. If you know your team is leaving, you can basically, you know, flip them the bird and say, I'm not coming. <laughs> or you can be nostalgic and, and celebrate the one final year in Oakland. So I give the fans credit. They at least have taken that route so far. But I guess what I'm getting at is, is there another fan base like it? I mean, the Packers fan base is special. It's unique. Sure. But 
out in the NFL, you don't think of fan bases so much. Yeah, some are bigger than others. Yeah. But I think of the Packers and I think of the Raiders probably. And the Steelers is just so massive. But they don't really have like a character to them, if you don't mind me saying, Steelers fans. Yeah. Uh, but there's something about like the Packers fans, you know, that you kind of, you, you almost can stereotype. You can stereotype the Raiders fan. I don't know if another team in the league falls in yeah. line with that. So it, it's funny because we're talking about fan bases and they kind of have their own brand, right? And uh, Kuz brought up a great one and it was kind of on the tip of my tongue as well, where I think Bills fans, they kind of have the reputation of being a little out there and crazy, right? Like yeah, breaking yeah. the table and the stuff tables. like that. Yeah. I think Green Bay... The Bills like, fans just plain stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, that's that's uh, <laughs> ASJXBrent at uh, Twitter.com. Um, I think Packer fans, you know, like there's tradition there, obviously, but like as far as like a brand and I would say Packer fans are more just hospitable. You know, like they'll, they'll invite you to come to their tailgate, drink Absolutely. beer. I think they're pretty friendly as far as fan bases go. So, like, as far as the brands associated with, like, yes, they're, tr- they're passionate fans, but I wouldn't say, like, they're hardcore or tough or anything. But then we're talking about Raiders fans, you know, and, and I've shared this story before where the only time I ever got in a fight in the stands or almost got in a fight in the stands was with Raiders fans where one of them called uh, my teammate Tyson Alualu a derogatory term. I didn't like it. Um, I tried to hop the railing and Coach Tucker, my defensive coordinator, says if you go up there and do something, you're sitting. So that kind of got my attention and everything. But I think when we associate the black hole, the Raiders fans, you know, it's just with it's with the group of guys that you really don't want to mess with. You know, whether it's like a biker gang or, or something like that, like I, I just kind of get those vibes from from that, you know. So from that perspective with Raiders fans, I feel like it, it is a brand, you know, and, and, and it goes across the country. And it's like if you're part of the black hole, yeah, you maybe you haven't had a lot of success lately, but like it takes a certain kind of mindset, I feel like, to be an Oakland Raiders fan. Absolutely, man. I think in the Raiders fan, uh, from a stereotypical point of view, you're hanging out with them at a saloon. Exactly. If, if you meet the Packers fan, you probably just got out of church. <laughs> For sure. We just got out of church. <laughs> we're, we're going down to the tavern, going to have some fried cheese curds and some Miller Lights. Absolutely. I, I always say, I always say, Raiders fan, not only a saloon, but maybe jail. Yeah, I mean, dude, it's 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 uh, they're I mean, they're hardcore. What what can I say? I mean, it's by far like not necessarily the loudest fan base because I've been in some pretty loud stadiums. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say the most passionate fan base, but by far. And and I played in Philly and I played in New York, but by far probably the most craziest fan base, set aside from the Bills fans. But it's a different kind of crazy. I think, uh, you know what's cool about it? I just said a saloon or jail for uh, Raiders fans. Yeah. And they wear that as a badge of honor, by oh, the way. For they sure. welcome that. Like, for they're not sure. even mad I said that. Yeah. Like, they're like, you're right on the money, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I kind of I kind of enjoy. I agree with. Hey, um, we're going to do something different when we come back, okay? The Jag season is over. And uh, three games are riding it out. Heck, if they get another win, great. What team would you ride with right now since everybody's down on the Jags? From here on out, you had three games regular season to take it to Miami and Super Bowl 54. What team would you ride ride with? Is it a Baltimore or San Francisco who seem like maybe the favorites in each? Is it somebody else? Is there a sleeping giant just waiting in the wings that could get hot in the final couple of games and then in the postseason? Who would it be? Let's uh, have your choices. And also, you can always jump in on the conversation. Star Star 690. You got a Raiders story? You got an Out West story? A Coliseum story? <laughs> Share it with us. Nine zero four three six two nine nine zero one. Philip Fulmer coming up at four o'clock. We'll talk a little bit about Tennessee football, where they're going, 
including the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Spend a little time talking about the bowl school as they get ready for a state championship game tonight at 7 o'clock against Booker T. Washington down in Daytona. Action Sports Jacks on the road once again here on ESPN 690. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Oh, my, just like a dad, you know, just, you know, pulling for, just pulling for his son and his friends. I mean, that's what my thoughts are. Short and sweet from Doug Marone on the Bulls. Bulldogs, his son uh, making his way down to Daytona. And the family as well. Uh, Doug's son plays for Bulls and will play in the state championship game here tonight in Daytona against uh, Booker T. Washington, the Class 4A state championship game. Good player, too, uh, Doug's son is. And, yeah, this is... As we welcome you back, Brent Martineau here, Austin Lane, back in the Action Sports Jack studios. almost felt bad listening to Doug talk about uh, the game tonight and, and the high school game, Austin, because when everything is miserable in a building and when everything goes wrong in the NFL, like, you can't say anything, you know? Like, everything you say is going to be, get uh, be under the microscope. And so I almost got the sense that Doug didn't want to comment too much about this football game tonight and his son playing the state title game because it would have looked bad saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to make my way down there and go down there and hope they win and it's pretty cool and all this stuff. And it's like, well, you're supposed to be in a bad mood. You've lost five in a row, and you better not leave the building because you're trying to fix it. And if you leave the building, well, that means you're not working hard enough. I mean, that's almost like the sense I got from what Doug was saying there. Okay. And, I mean, I don't know if that's true. I'm just saying that's the way I read it. Yeah. Like, you know what? His kid's playing in a state championship game tonight. I hope Doug Marone's able to come down here for a little bit and watch him play. Uh, I, I would almost think it would be ridiculous if he doesn't come down here and can't get down here. It's a Wednesday. You get your work done, work a little more on Tuesday, go back to the office later tonight, whatever it is. Uh, but uh, I'm almost hopeful that I see Doug Marone down here tonight watching his kid play for a state title. Yeah, it's part of being a parent, man. I, that's why I was such a fan of Bruce Arians, who I have a lot of respect for now, the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, Bruce Arians made it apparent where if your kid has a, a game, a recital, or some special event, he ordered that anybody on his coaching staff or that front office has to go attend that thing. And then they can make up for it in a variety of ways. But um, I thought it was an important message that, listen, you're, you're a parent first, and this is your profession. I think being a parent is probably the most important thing. So I'm I'm all for Doug Marone going there and watching his son as he should, you know. And if, if some people have a problem with that, thinking that well he should be in, in the stadium till wee hours in the morning, you know, going over to Oakland, it just it, it doesn't work like that, you know. I mean, there, you still have to be a parent and you still have to go s- support your children. That's the most important part of being an adult, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, hopefully it, it just it just shows you how bad it gets in a building. You know what I mean? It's just like you got to that, – that's the sense I get. I mean, when you lose it, nothing's fun. And uh, hopefully uh, he, he's able to check it out. And um, I mean, that's all up to him and, and everything else. So uh, we'll see what uh, what happens with with that situation. Hopefully he's able to make it down. Hopefully it doesn't uh, interrupt with so, – hey, listen, sometimes you got work to do. <laughs> you know, yeah. if it was, this game was on a Sunday or Saturday and they're in Oakland, you have no choice. But uh, it's an hour down the road, hour and a half down the road. So hopefully uh, Doug Marone will be able to do it. Looks like we're having a little bit of trouble with the uh, the video uh, side of things, our little uh, TV unit here that we work with. So that's freezing up. But uh, hopefully you can still check out the audio side. I'll try to get that to work from here. Um, play a little engineer, Austin Lane. Do what you got to uh, do, man. As long as you can hear me loud and clear, that's all that really matters. Um, and I apologize for that. Uh, before the break, I said, what team would you like to ride with 
from here on out the rest of the remainder of the season and the playoffs and, and maybe get you to the Super Bowl. Like, if you had uh, just come in from another country and never seen football, but really wanted to latch onto a team and uh, just enjoy the ride, where would you go? Would it be Baltimore, or would you pick another squad? I mean, if you're asking me the question of what team I'm going to ride with right now, we have to go back to the very first day we made our predictions, Brent. And we asked ourselves, who do you think is going to the Super Bowl? And I had the Patriots going, but losing, and I had them losing to the Saints. So it would be wrong of me and my expert opinions if I was going to say the Ravens or the Chiefs or some other team. I have to roll with the team that I picked since day one. So go ahead and give me the Saints, please. Ah, very good. Yes. Even though they just gave up 48. All good, man. Hey, did you see Drew Brees? Drew Brees, that offense is back now. I like it, especially going in the playoffs. Uh, that's... Uh... Ah, that's interesting. I thought you were going to take, like, um, uh, Baltimore or something like that. Well, no, uh, I, I want to take Baltimore. I think Baltimore is the sexy pick right now, but I have to stick with my predictions that I gave uh, from the beginning of the season. Yeah, but I guess the rules of this contest is you don't. You know oh, I mean? well, yeah. Like, but, you don't have to. Hey. I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, if you really were to come, like, what's what's the team? Do you think the Saints are going to win it? I mean, are you still confident that they could they could roll uh, through and, and, and get it done? I mean, then yeah. that's okay. But yeah, I I'm confident. just saying, like, listen, I picked the Dallas Cowboys. They're still in it. But sure. for this exercise, I wouldn't pick the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, and obviously so you, this you isn't really about being either. right. No, I understand. But I'm thinking I just killed two birds with one stone, so it makes me sound better. <laughs> so go ahead and still give me the Saints, please. Um, all right. Uh, you know you know what's interesting to me? I thought you might say Baltimore because oh, I know you've been a big Lamar guy, and you I really am. want him to uh, help your fantasy team maybe beat me. Absolutely. I think San Francisco is really good, and I said this on TV a couple of times uh, in the last couple of days. The thing about San Francisco that I'm impressed with is they can beat you in a variety of ways. Mm-hmm. I've seen them win all sorts of games, and I think actually New Orleans has a little bit of that, but they're starting to lose some guys injury-wise, and I'm concerned about that for New Orleans, especially on the defensive end. But I think... Uh, I, I think San Francisco, they can beat you 48-46. Most of the time, you're probably going to beat you, you know, 23-14 to 14 or 16 or something like that. Mm. So I, um, I, I'm impressed with San Fran, although I still am a little bit scared of San Fran. I don't know if they'll win the whole thing. You know the team that I don't think people are talking about enough? Because of the Lamar Jackson hype, because of San Francisco, because everybody's picking on New England right now. The Chiefs? Yeah. Yeah. And I almost wonder if this is the year. You know, you have so much pressure on you in Kansas City last year because Mahomes is lighting the world on fire and Andy Reid and Kenny won the big one and are they unstoppable and all that defense and you got home field. And and I almost wonder now that you slip up a little bit early, you wonder about the health of Mahomes for a couple of weeks. You're saying that defense, are they ever going to fix it? And now you start looking up in the way they're playing the last few weeks, and it's not this is not based just on the win over New England because right now I don't really think New England's even that great. Yeah. But I do think their defense as a whole the last few weeks has played a lot better. I think Mahomes, with some seasoning from a year ago and experience in the playoffs, could be very beneficial. And then Andy Reid, obviously, is a fantastic coach, although he might be my biggest concern because he's yet to be able to really prove to win that big thing mm-hmm. as good of a coach as he's been. I like... Kansas City, I don't think they've really clicked on all cylinders all year long. Uh, maybe the first couple of weeks, and that was it, including that game against the Jags. But they really haven't looked like the Kansas City team we thought they'd be. And now I'm starting to wonder, with the warts of New England, with the curiosity of me on Baltimore's, did they peak early? Were they playing such good football in November that they might not be able to duplicate that 
in January. And I think that's a sincere concern of mine. And then uh, even the other teams, I think, in the NFC, although it's great, they're great teams for the most part, and they have such depth in the NFC, I still think I could find some flaws. I like, I think I might ride with Kansas City, man. Okay. See, and I get the Kansas City pick, but my issue with Kansas City right now is the fact that if they were to go on that run and head to Miami, their run is going to have to go through, no matter who they play, it's going to have to go through some cold weather. Whether they're playing in Baltimore, they're playing in New England, or possibly even Buffalo right now. We'll see how that all turns out. Or possibly in Pittsburgh, too. We'll see. But from that perspective, you got to go through cold weather. And when you go through cold weather, and I get it, it may not be snowing. It may be nice out. We don't know yet. But traditionally, around come playoff time, it starts to be a little snowy on the East Coast. It starts to be a little more chilly. The ball starts to be a little more hard to throw. And when you have those types of problems, you, you have those types of things adding up, you have to be able to run the ball. And LaShawn McCoy, who you know has kind of been banged up a little bit, and their depth at running back right now is hurting a little bit, I just wonder if the, the way they play right now is going to be beneficial to the way they, they're going to have to play once the playoffs start. We'll see. But that's why Baltimore is such a is such an intriguing team to me, especially from the AFC, where Baltimore is made for the cold weather. you know. And I think San Francisco is also made for the cold weather. But now we don't know if San Francisco is going to have to go through the snow and stuff like that or not. But predominantly on the AFC side, it's looking like you guys have to go through some snow and some bad weather to get to Miami. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, it's, it's fast. I think there are a lot of teams you could pick. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of it right now. I mean, New England is nowhere near a runaway. And I still have my doubts about Baltimore. I think Lamar Jackson and Baltimore could be what the Chiefs were a year ago. And they got very far. They came on the doorstep, but they couldn't get it done. They couldn't get there. So I think uh, sometimes when you're hyped up that much, sometimes there's a chance you peak too early. Uh, sometimes people are gunning at you so much. And right now that team is Baltimore. People are trying to figure out Baltimore so much. What are they? How do we stop them? And eventually I think you put all that work in. I think somebody will be able to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, I think. I yeah. think. Uh, we'll find out. Well, you, you better make sure you got a bunch of Pro Bowl linebackers being able to cover their tight ends because the, 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 the way to stop Baltimore is you got to shut down their tight ends shut down the middle of the field because that's what Baltimore does. They attack the first level with the running game up the middle. They attack the second level with their tight ends in the middle. Then they attack the deep shots in the middle once again. And if you can shut down the middle, you give them a lot of problems. The problems are the fact that a lot of defenses out there can't hang with Baltimore just because they don't have the personnel to do it. Do you think their defense is good enough? Like if, Baltimore's? If, yeah, I mean, I know it's good. I'm not yeah. asking. I'm saying, can it be dominant enough, like to offset? What if Lamar Jackson throws a couple of picks or loses the ball in sloppy sure. weather or something like that, and they're not producing on offense? Can it hold the hold everything in place long enough for him to get it right in the fourth quarter or win a low-scoring game? I mean, listen, the Jaguars won a ten to three game in the opening round of the playoffs here a couple of years ago. So, is their defense that good? Is it is it one of the best in your opinion to be able to do that in the postseason? I think to be one of the best defenses in the postseason, unless your name is the New England Patriots, I think you have to have a solid defensive line. And when I see the Ravens' defensive line, I think it is solid. Um, they have a young linebacking core. I think that was kind of the big question of who's going to replace, replace C.J. Mosley. Um, you know, can they fit in? But so far, so good from that perspective. So, yes, I think through the backside and their safeties, they have some Pro Bowl talent back there. Solid defensive line. I think their defense is definitely good enough. Has our show ever looked better on the video feeds? Let me see it. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Man.
I'm glad to be here and there. Looking good, man. Nice big white smile. You you, you love to see it. I brushed my teeth today. (laughs) Uh, Hey, when we come back, um, do you wish you played baseball, Austin Lane, instead of football? Uh, I, I'm all set, man. I feel like it's it's a lot of chewing tobacco and sunflower seeds, and eventually it would have caught up with me. So I'm, I'm is, happy playing football. Is it okay I woke up, Ty, when I got home last night around 1230 and we hit? Oh, yeah, man. Get ready to cash those checks. I probably would do the same thing if I were you. I also have Kaylee pitching overhand now. See Good. if she can maybe make it to the bigs. I like it. A little baseball talk and back to the football as well when we come back on ESPN 690. I just address it to him the first time. I also address coaching with confidence too. I mean, you know, it goes it goes all the way around. So, you know, it's not just on the players. I just I just try to, you know, I've always been truthful and see what I see on film and, you know, believe in what you see and 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 just going. Don't try to, you know, overthinking or do too much or, you know, and and that's what happens when you're not playing well. You know, and all it takes is one person to just kind of not be where they're supposed to be and teams are too good, they they'll expose you. So, you know, we've talked about that, and, and we got a lot of young guys playing, which is a great opportunity for them to show that they belong in the league. Well, that's Doug Marone talking today about his football team. And, uh, well, we've been saying that a lot. Brett Morneau here in Daytona for the Bowl State Championship game, Class 4A state title game uh, against Booker T. Washington. And we've been saying that a lot. Austin Lane, who's back in the Action Sports Shack studios, it only takes one guy to really mess it up. And, man, if you have multiple guys mess it up, it might look as bad as it has the last five weeks for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah, it's it's really the beauty of football, right, where it's a game that – you always praise the individual statistics, but the success of the teams that can go far in the playoffs and win a championship are the teams that have 11 guys on the same page and kind of put the statistics aside. I want to grow up and be a baseball player. That's what everybody should say, right, Austin Lane? Uh, no, but it is what it is. <laughs> you know, I remember having uh, I remember having this conversation with Maurice Jones-Drew. Okay. Um uh, oh, it was years ago, obviously, in the locker room. But it, it's funny how guys in the NFL locker room look at other sports. Like, the NBA's got silly money right now. Sure. Major League Baseball has silly money. Yeah. And the, the difference between those two sports especially, we'll leave hockey out of this, because, I mean, you can make silly money in tennis and golf and all these things, but it's silly money in the NFL, I mean, the NBA and, and Major League Baseball versus the NFL because of the guaranteed contracts. And so, I mean, Bobby Bonilla is still getting paid. By the New York Mets. He stopped playing like two decades ago. <laughs> sure, know? yeah. I mean, John Carlos Stanton could strike out every single at-bat for the rest of his life, and he's still making $300 million. Mm-hmm. And now we just see this with Garrett Cole as well. But I had this conversation with Maurice Jones-Drew, and you know, there was a big signing at the time. Again, this is going back some seven years ago probably. And uh, I think we were talking about our kids, and, and I might have mentioned something about baseball. And my little guy's playing baseball. He's like, good, keep him playing baseball. He's like, those guys are making all the money. So it just it, it, it shed a little light at the time on, first of all, the discontent sometimes from players in the NFL with their lack of guaranteed contracts, mm-hmm. but also the fact that every athlete in professional sports is very much aware of what's going on around them, even if it's not in their own sport. Yeah, you know, and listen, this and obviously this is going to the the true or you know the the accusation of uh, Garrett Cole going to the yeah. Yankees, and I just find it baffling to me that everyone's freaking out, 
saying, oh, the Yankees are buying championships. The Yankees are buying championships. Well, this is nothing new to the New York Yankees, right? Like, this is a team that offered Stanton all that money. It's a team that offered uh, Tanaka all that money. But they haven't won a championship yet. Like, I understand, yeah, you, you go and you acquire these great players, and Garrett Cole is one of the best pitchers in the game, hands down. You can't debate that. But doesn't mean he's still going to fit in well with the New York Yankees. Like, people got to – I get it. The Yankees are probably the favorite right now to go to the World Series, and so be it. But usually the favorites don't necessarily always win it. You know, I mean, I think last year the Astros were the favorites. Well, what happened? Here comes the Nationals. So I understand that the standpoint of you can be upset because the Yankees just spent all this money on another player, and that's good. And good for Garrett Cole for making all that money, man. You earned it. You wanted the best at your position, more power to you. But we have to slow our rolls a little bit and pump the brakes and thinking like, oh, well, there it is. There's a championship. That's not how baseball works. No, I I don't think it is either, by the way. I I do not think this locks the Yankees into winning the World Series. Because I agree with you. Baseball does not work that way. In fact, uh, I think I was pretty adamant, even though the Yankees were dang good during the course of the year. And this isn't just because I'm a fan of the Red Sox. But I was pretty adamant. I didn't think the Yankees were going to win. I think Mm -hmm. the last two, two playoffs showed that, that they didn't have enough. Now. What they went and did is they went and got what they were missing, and they needed somebody like this in their rotation. But there's a lot of things that go into here now. He's got to stay healthy. He's got to be pitching dominant. He's go. You have to assume that he's going to do all these things that he did with the Houston Astros and, and prior to in his career, was Pittsburgh Pirates as well. But there's a lot to bank on. And then it's big bucks to bank on. And uh, there'll be a ton of pressure as well. You know, he was a New York Yankees guy. Like, he grew up with the Yankees. He wanted to be a Yankee. Always has been. Mm-hmm. And so this is just added pressure for Cole. So, yeah, the Yankees should be favorites now, no doubt. They, they took a Houston team, which still is very good. And they took their one of their best players and they added it to their roster. Mm-hmm. That automatically makes you probably a notch ahead of that other team. So I'm okay with that. But it is astronomical where these contracts are headed. And also, it just strikes me all the time, like a guy like Scott Boris and how much he basically runs Major League Baseball from a player standpoint. Just like Jimmy Sexton in the coaching world and college football and even the NFL, he's got all these coaches. So he's like moving chess pieces around and making them all millions of more dollars. Like I feel like Jimmy Sexton alone has created like a 50% pay raise in college coaching. Yeah. <laughs> because I think, I think he spreads the rumors sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Was James Franklin really a candidate at Florida State or was he trying to get his guy a, a raise? And I, honestly, I don't even know if, uh, Sexton and Franklin are, or team, I don't know if that's uh, he's his agent, but he probably is. Uh, by default, I go to Jimmy Sexton when it comes to college football coaches, and by default, I go to Scott Boris uh, when it comes to uh, Major League Baseball players. And it's really amazing how much money he's earned people and how he's changed the game in terms of the contracts. And, you know, listen, you come from the player point of view. It's an astronomical amount of money, but I'm sure you're like, go get it, Garrett Cole, right? Well, absolutely. You know, I mean, being a football player, or, you know, even any any football player in that locker room right now, they see this and, like, yeah, they're they're well off to do as well. But you can't even comprehend, you know, just how much money Cole is making. Oh, and it's guaranteed. Oh, so you can get hurt and you can still get paid the hundred <laughs> yeah. percent of that money. Oh, even if you get trade, you know, like there's, uh, I guess there's like no trade clause as well. But oh, like if you get cut from the team, 
you're still getting paid? Excuse me? So from that perspective of, of being a football player, you know, it's almost to the point where you can't comprehend. And, and I don't care how much money you're making in the NFL. It's just it's on a different level in baseball. It, it really is, you know. And um, maybe maybe one day, you know, those you know those differences will kind of come closer together. I doubt it will happen in my lifetime, but you never know, I guess. But from the baseball perspective, it is just, you know, because we talked about Mike Trout. We talked about Bryce Harper. I mean, the the value and then the money, it's only going to get more and more and more. You know, it's not going to show signs of stopping. So it's going to be crazy to say, you know, in, in three or four years from now, just what kind of contracts we're talking about um, in Major League Baseball. Yeah, and listen, I've never been that. I think a lot of people scoff at this amount of money. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he gets that much money to play a game. You know, that <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. But I don't look at it like that. I've always said, hey, first of all, those guys get paid a lot of money, especially those guys, because they do something better than anybody else, and they do something that you can't do most likely. That's why they get paid that much money. If you could do it, you'd be making that much money as well. Mm-hmm. And so I never have an issue. Now, where it's ballooned to, like, you get a guy that's, um, you know, I mean, shoot, nowadays you get a guy with a 4.25 ERA that's really nothing special. He signs a one-year deal, and it's like $12 million bucks. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, really? <laughs> like, what's he doing? But, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's the cost of doing business, and, and everybody's inflates, and there's a lot of money being made. So at least in the NBA and the in Major League Baseball, it feels like the players are making Money, just like the owners are making money. And you don't get that feel, and that's why you have conflict in the NFL. You know, what I equate the big salaries to, is it really that different than Tom Hanks or Tom Cruise or name your actor or actress that gets paid millions of dollars to make a movie? Yeah, you're I right. Mean, what's the difference? It's entertainment. Nobody, or to sing a song or mm-hmm. create an album or put on a concert. Well, we don't scoff at that. Why don't we ever do that? But we do with sports. Of course. And at the end of the day, if you're talking about a movie star like a Tom Cruise or somebody, I mean, the whole point of paying that actor or actress that much money is from the standpoint of you expect to get that much money and then some back in return. So you make a profit. The, the New York Yankees are one of the most, you know, exp- you know, they're one of the most. I guess successful franchises um, in, in the entire world. You know, I mean, it's a global brand, so they'll make the money back. So it's not like they're forking over money, forking over money. It's like, man, I hope we can make ends meet. I hope this really pays off for us. No, the Yankees are going to be fine, obviously. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you from that standpoint, Brad. But once again, it's just it's crazy being a football player uh, or a former football player, you know, and, and seeing these these big contracts being thrown around like that. But it's I guess like you said, maybe you should have your kids play baseball. Well, it's the one that um, that gets people going at the water cooler. These big signings like Strasburg, and and last year it was Bryce Harper and uh, Machado, and and now Garrett Cole, and that's what people talk about. Oh my. Gosh, like my wife said today, a million dollars to start? Like, you might only go four innings. Like, that's it. Well, I know it's a million dollars. But what I think those other sports have benefited from is the lower-tier guys. And that's where the NFL misses, in my opinion. You know, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, those guys make $30 plus. But I don't like – I shouldn't say I don't like. But I think in the game of football and how violent that sport is in the NFL at that level, I don't love the fact that the bottom-tier guys – make $450,000 or $500,000. I actually don't think that's enough. That's where I'd like to see the NFL go up and give those guys a little bit more money because, again, the shelf life is very short. And while half a million dollars sounds like a lot of money, and it is, I understand it, it's all relative, it's still not, hey, now I don't ever have to work again. 
and well, uh, it's not a, it's not that kind of money for those guys, mm-hmm. especially with the company they're keeping. That that rookie on the roster might be going to dinner with Aaron Rodgers, and that darn Aaron Rodgers might be making that rookie pay. No, without a doubt. <laughs> and and I, I guess another point I want to bring up too as well is like you said. We still have to see if this is going to pay off for him. I mean, he still has to play well. He has to, you know, he has to go on playing his career without any injuries. But at the end of the day, it's a nine, you know, it's a nine-year contract for three hundred and twenty-four million, Brent, and this is guaranteed. And this is where I want to get into a little bit because I don't really know the psychology of a baseball player. I'm sure you can kind of talk about it a little more than I can. I'm, I'm into football. But from that perspective, if you're Garrett Cole right now, and I, I'm just using him as an example. I'm not trying to call him out as a person or anything. Yeah, yeah. But, but if you're Garrett Cole right now and you lay your head down tonight, you're going to make a $324 million regardless. You can go to the gym. You can bust your ass. You can be in the best shape of your life. Or you can go to the bar down the street and go on a, like a 20-day bender and celebrate and just stay at that bar. Regardless, you're still going to make $324 million, regardless of how you approach your craft going forward now. So I guess my question to you, Brent, is when you see some of these stars kind of fade out a little bit when they get those new big contracts in MLB, do you think it's a little lack of guys get a little too comfortable because they know those contracts are guaranteed as opposed to a football player who maybe signs this big deal, but you know that you have to work to earn that money because at any time you can get injured or you can get cut? Yeah, I, I, that's a great point, man. And listen, I think the competitive nature and the pride of a professional athlete is so much so you don't get to that point with having so much pride mm-hmm. that you would likely not do that. But I get your the context of it. And yeah, I think that could happen. I think, hey, uh, should I work out twice today or once? Yeah. You know? Are yeah. you really, do you still, that's what's the beauty of a guy like Tiger Woods in golf or LeBron James, right? They've got all the money in the world. Yes. But there's a different edge to them, man. LeBron James worked out this last year as going into his 17th season more maybe than he probably ever had, right? I mean, he's got more edge to him right now with the Lakers than maybe he's ever had in his career. Of course. Like, you really appreciate guys like that because I think what you said is is possibly true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how you don't lose a little bit of edge. It's kind of like what I say about recruiting. It's like, i got to be careful offering a ninth grader, and he already says, ah, i got this made for the next four years. But you don't. <laughs> you haven't even signed anything. You haven't even got a scholarship yet. Uh, the difference is what you just said. Those guys already got their money in the bank. A little mm-hmm. bit later on, I want to ask you, we didn't get to it right here, but Jimmy Sexton, the Scott Boris, is, does the NFL need a guy like that to kind of play the point? In the agent world, we thought it might be Drew Rosenhaus or somebody like that, mm-hmm. but do they need someone like that to increase salaries for players or maybe get them guaranteed and help that cause a little bit more, or is this strictly an NFLPA versus the owners kind of situation? We'll get into it. Scheduled to have Philip Fulmer, uh, Tennessee AD, former Tennessee head coach. Tennessee is playing in the Tax Slayer Bowl. That's coming up next on ESPN 690. You know, one of the things that I, I said uh, the other day on Monday, I talked to Tim about, you know, we're not playing with a lot of confidence out there. I think that, you know, so we got to work on that. And that happens like uh, I think Mark and I were talking about, you know, you gain confidence by winning games and, and we're not doing that. That's absolutely true. No confidence at all in the city of Jacksonville, in the building at Jags headquarters, in meeting rooms, on the field. Probably on that plane going to Oakland, uh, which will actually leave on Friday. will be with the team. I'll miss Friday's show. Marcel Robinson will be with Austin Lane uh, as I'll be traveling to Oakland uh, with the Jags. And let's see if they can figure it out. I mean, it, you know, when you have a lost season, you're just trying to get something to go right. Smile for one Sunday into a Monday. Make the week a little bit better. Change the narrative. 
stop us from talking about it the way it's been five weeks in a row now. I mean, we have no other choice uh, but to talk about it's it. It's our job. We have to talk <laughs> about it. I mean, and they're not giving us anything else, man. That's yeah. the frustration of it, you know. And it's not like, uh, listen, I hate being Debbie Downer, you know, the negative guy, but. Uh, there's no other way to spin what's gone on in Jacksonville the last five weeks. And well, give me something else next Monday, Sunday night. Give me something else to cling to. And I think what everybody's hoping for is that something else is either Leonard Fournette going for 150 or Gardner Minshew breaking out or a DJ Chark if he's healthy enough to go, you know, continuing a good season, a Josh Allen. We need something not only good, but something that provides hope and a spark for 2020. You want hope, Brent? Let's go ahead and get some free football going on here because you're going to have the two most penalized teams in the NFL. This could be a five-plus-hour football game, so you're going to get a lot of free uh, extra football for those that want to tune in to watch the game. Wait a minute. I'm already getting back at like 3 in the morning from Oakland on Sunday night. I might, mean, I don't need might, more football. Might want to change that uh, that flight to about 5 a.m., Brent, the way that game might go. <laughs> just saying. All right. Well, let's break from the Jags. We'll get back to the NFL in just a little bit. But how about we talk a little college football right now. And the Taxlayer Gator Bowl is happening on January 2nd. And I love the matchup here. Indiana comes in, and they're all excited about what's going on with their football program. And Tennessee's trying to turn things around with their football program. They've got some momentum as well. So it's Tennessee and Indiana. And later today, there'll be a press conference in downtown Jacksonville uh, with the head coach of Indiana and also Philip Fulmer, now the AD at Tennessee, of course, a legendary coach, college football Hall of Famer, really a lifer in Knoxville, and he joins us right now on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Coach, can I call you Coach? Do we still call you Coach? Glad to have you on the show. <laughs> hey, Brent. How are you, buddy? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, you're with, uh, I'm down at Daytona for the high school state championship game for a team from Jacksonville with Bowles, and Austin Lane's a former Jags player. He's with you on the line as well back in our Action Sports Jack studios. How excited are you guys to play in the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl coming up on January 2nd? You know, we are really excited. I'm down. I've met most of the team here in, in Jacksonville, and as, as they were back when I came here the last time, they were very hospital people, and our fans are hungry for, for a good bowl game and to get to some sunshine. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Philip Fulmer with us in Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Uh, give us a sense of that. What is the excitement level? How you guys got things going here in 2019, the second half of the season especially, and to land yeah. in the Gator Bowl and especially land in the state of Florida where obviously recruiting is king too. Yeah, our, our, our people are really excited about our football team. You know, that we, we improved so much during the course of the year and, you know, a fun team to watch and, you know, obviously to, to be able to come to, to Jacksonville, we have great history here. I think this will be our seventh time and be here celebrating 75 years of the Gator Bowl. And uh, most of our times here have been been pretty successful. And, and then, you know, to play a really good Indiana team, that's going to be, be part of it as well. So I know our players and our fans will, will, will enjoy it. Philip, I'm going to call you coach if that's okay because I, I always that's say good. once a coach, always a coach. So, uh, so coach, what, what does it say about you know about the, the football team in general? Because you guys started off pretty rocky, you know, and there was um, there's a lot of people saying it wasn't going to be a successful season, and then you guys really just finished strong, you know, to actually get to a bowl game. I mean, what do you attribute to that and your team's success uh, in finishing strong? Well, I, I think Jeremy Pruitt would tell you the same thing. I mean, we had high expectations for this team at the beginning of the year. 
I mean, honestly, we just did not play well. We turned the ball over a lot. That's a great equalizer. Uh, in the first ball game, had had five turnovers, had three bad penalties. I think we had three sacks. We gave up, uh, you know, too many big plays on the defensive side. So it really wasn't that our expectations were low or anything like that. We actually had high expectations. We just didn't play well. And uh, BYU, a good football team. You know, we've had it won and lost it on the last play or two, you know, with the deep ball, which just, just was crazy for us. And uh, then we ran into a kind of a buzzsaw with Florida and Georgia and got back on our feet and what I think we were six, one, six out of the last seven. And played like we were supposed to play. And, and, and particularly on the defense, we, we really improved defensively, offensively. I don't think we've found a consistency yet, but we're, 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 I tell everybody somebody's band's going to be playing. <laughs> you know, it might not be ours. But, uh, <laughs> we're we're pretty exciting, you know, on offense. <laughs> well, that will be a good game to see then on January 2nd at the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Everybody loves yeah. some offense. Uh, that's a great, yeah. uh, great line right there. And Austin mentioned Rocky, so he might hear a little Rocky Top uh, along Rocky the way. Top. Yeah, you guys should remember it from 2015, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Philip Fulmer, uh, legendary at uh, the University of Tennessee, of course. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about your background in the Gator Bowl in just a moment. But I want to ask you about being patient and how hard it is. Because obviously six out of the last seven, uh, there's noise in every system, right? I mean, the fans, they can only be so patient. This has been a, a, a roller coaster ride these last few years. Everybody knows that in Knoxville. But but mm-hmm. how hard is that to, to kind of hit the patient button, and then when to kind of transfer to the panic button. And in your case, this seems like the patient button has worked with Jeremy Pruitt because now you yeah. have some momentum. Yeah, it's it's a great question. And, and I don't know that our – I mean, there's always rumbles when you don't win in a place like Tennessee or Florida or Georgia or Indiana, anywhere, you know, if you're not winning high school. You know, they, there's, there's people rumbling. But I, I think the fact that uh, we have been through so much – and, uh, I mean, we've got, we've got so much stability at Tennessee right now with a new president who just, you know, he's, he loves the university. He's working for a dollar a year. He's a graduate business guy that's done extremely well in, in his, in his world. And he, he's, he's just calmed everybody down with his leadership and leadership matters, you know, and, and Randy Boyd and our chancellor's the same way. She's just been fabulous. She's pretty new from the University of Nebraska, but had been at Tennessee before, so she knew our culture. And and then, you know, me being there as a former player and coach, I think there was some trust there. So when we said, look, just be, you know, be patient. We're doing these things well. We haven't actually gotten it all to the field yet, but we are coming. And, uh, and our people listened and responded. They never – Stopped supporting. They were loud and proud in all the games all the way through, and and we ended up having a you know uh, a, you know a good season. Seven five is not not what we always want to be, obviously, but for, from where we were, it was a very positive season. And our our fan base is hungry and passionate, and uh, to get back to you know competing for championships, and this is our next step. 
Absolutely. Philip Fulmer with us from uh, Tennessee, and he's down here for the Taxlayer Gator Bowl news conference coming up tonight at 530 in Jacksonville. Excited about this game. Indiana and Tennessee will play on January 2nd right here in Jacksonville. And this game is familiar to Tennessee. It's familiar familiar to you, Philip Fulmer. Uh, you played in this game in 1969 against Florida, and you coached in it in 1994, although that game I think was in Gainesville, right, because the stadium was being renovated. Can you give yeah, us we some played in Gainesville. We spent the week week here in, in, in uh, Jacksonville, but that was a little bit different. Just driving over and back, you know, yeah, because, two hours. And that was against field, Virginia Tech. Yeah, a good Virginia Tech team. Yeah, we we've had a lot of history. I, the, one of the first games I remember. I'm I'm in, I'm from Middle Tennessee, so I'm a Tennessee fan. But I remember in the '66 game when Tennessee was playing Syracuse, and our great linebacker uh, Paul Newmoff hit Larry Zonka, of all people, on third down and knocked him back on the goal line, and and Syracuse didn't score, and we won the game. And that's the first one I remember. And then having a chance to play in it a couple years later in 69 was great, Uh, although we didn't win the the game. And then bringing our team here in 94 was, was a lot of fun. And here I am as athletic director now, so... On the 75th year of the Gator Bowl, that's, that's, that's kind of really, really unique. That's pretty awesome. Uh, Philip Fulmer with us. Uh, how important still are these bowl games, in your opinion? We know the temperature has changed in bowl games. There's so many of them. Now there's the college football playoff, which takes the cake, even the New Year's Six games. And quite frankly, I think some fans and people here in Jacksonville have said, hey, the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl has maybe lost its luster a little bit. What does it mean to the actual schools, to your players, to uh, boosters and fans, uh, in your opinion, no, even here in 2019? Yeah. I would hate to think people are taking them for granted because it's it's one of those great moments in in uh, in college football to to get to to play well enough to to earn a chance to to go to a bowl game is a is a big deal and uh, I know how excited our kids and how hungry they're going to be to to get down here and and play well and and enjoy the area obviously and and uh, I left I left uh, Knoxville. It was in the 30s, so it's you know, it's a really great chance to come and warm up a little bit. But uh, the main thing is to come and, and play well. Um, you know, you mentioned the 69, and I mentioned the 66. I mean, it was a lot different back then. There were seven or eight really bowl games. Gator Bowl being one of them, nine maybe. Um, now there now there are a lot more. But you know, for those teams that get to go. I mean, it's, that's that's a really great treat uh, in, anywhere. And uh, I hope we never lose sight of that. That's just one of those special things. I still think it's a good deal to have it in Jacksonville, Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. We're excited about this game, Indiana and Tennessee, on uh, January 2nd. I've got to ask you about uh, your time maybe doing a little recruiting in the state of Florida. I'm here at the Bowl State Championship game. You might know the name of Corky Rogers. He doesn't coach here anymore, but uh, legendary yeah, coach at Bowls. Yeah. But do you have a great story of recruiting maybe in Jacksonville or in the state of Florida in general? Do you, anything <laughs> top of mind? Uh, uh, yeah, but I probably have to shoot you. Just if I told you some of those things. <laughs> well, of course. No, well, I, had, I had actually as an assistant, I had South Florida, and we we always did really well in South Florida and Central Florida. Uh, Alvin Harper uh, was a great player for us from Frostproof, Florida, and uh, what was amazing 
is uh, is he, you know I don't know if you remember Alvin or not, but he played for us, made All Conference and All American, I think, and played on several Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl teams, and fantastic receiver. And he he was raised in Ben Hill Griffin's Groves. So <laughs> the Orange Groves was, was where his parents lived. Was in the was actually on Ben Hill Griffin property. <laughs> so it was That's great awesome. to get him away from the Florida Gators. So <laughs> good story. Go ahead, Austin. Yeah, hey, Coach. Uh, I was going to ask you. Well, I'll have you on the horn real quick here. So you used to coach uh, a guy back, uh, I think, when you were assistant by the name of Tom Lazinski, who I know him by. Milo, he's the he's the Jaguar strength coach, and he became a great friend of mine. Um, you know, obviously I played for the Jaguars for a couple of years, so we interacted yep. all the time. Great guy, great blue collar type of guy. I want to know if you had any good uh, Milo stories oh, from here, real quick. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I mean, recruited him from Rome, New York. His dad was a high school coach. He's tough, one of the toughest guys that I ever had a chance to coach, and he played you know seven or eight, nine years around the league, bouncing around and. Mm-hmm. Just played because of his well, he had he had good ability, but his you know just his attitude and his toughness and everything. We we would I would coach him up on something, and then we would argue like hell because he had another idea about some. Look, I'm the coach here. You you just listen and try to play, you know. And uh, he's done super well as a strength coach, amazingly well uh, all over the country. And a couple different times I've tried to hire him, but I could never afford him. <laughs> you know, so. Comes with a pretty big price tag for sure. Yeah, he's, uh, he's done well. I mean, he's one of those really, really great ones that's respected in the league. Certainly, that's a, that's a great story. All right, Philip Fulmer with us uh, from Tennessee. Last question. I'll let you go. I appreciate you taking the time on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. But I really wanted to ask you this question because I think you can speak of the dynamic. You go back to Tennessee as an athletic director. Obviously, long you played, but you're a longtime coach and had so much success. I can't help but think of your situation and liken it to the situation here in Jacksonville with Tom Coughlin, who gets off the sideline, comes back to a place that is near and dear to his heart and he's revered, but he takes a different role, kind of not in AD, but in the NFL offices, it would be like an athletic director role. How mm-hmm. difficult has that been? How difficult to not coach and kind of put your two cents in on the X's and O's and your experiences? Or do you have to do some of that to help the coaching staff along when needed? Can you give us a sense of that dynamic that Tom Coughlin has been in the last three years and you find yourself in right now at Tennessee? Well, I, c- I can't speak to Tom's situation, certainly. I don't know how he's he's handled it. Uh, he's a very, very intense guy, and he's obviously had tremendous success. Uh, so if he said something, and I'm a coach, I'm probably listening, right? Uh, um, I, you know, my in my situation, the first year was really hard. You know, not to uh, not to be around more than you know more than I probably should have been. But even now, I, you know, if I've got something to say, Jeremy Pruitt and I have such a great relationship that uh, he listens and. And uh, he doesn't have to do it necessarily, uh, but uh, I think he respects the fact that that I care, and he respects the fact that I've been there before. And uh, we we agreed bef- before he was hired actually that we weren't going to walk on eggshells around each other; that each other could say what we wanted to say because we had the same goal in mind, and that's to be successful on the field and 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 our, and, and you know in recruiting and everything that we're doing. So. I, uh, I I can speak to ours. Ours is a very healthy, good relationship that way, 
And my bet is that Tom has has his say about things and and, and would probably handle it much the same way. Very good. Uh, good answer. I appreciate you commenting on that. It's an unusual situation, but I'm glad you're enjoying it and hopefully a continued success in your role. We appreciate you taking some time here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and look forward to uh, seeing you later tonight, but also on January 2nd. See you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Philip Fulmer, of course, the legend at uh, the University of Tennessee. Oh, Rocky Top, you want to sing it a little bit, Austin? I thought I'm all set, man. I've heard it in college. I went to Murray State because we had like half our roster was Tennessee guys, and I had to hear that song every single day. So I'm all set. Thank you. All right, get your uh, Tax Slayer Gator Bowl tickets, of course. And I want to tell you a little bit about a special program we have going on along with the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl here on ESPN 690. You go to ESPN690.com and help us out. Here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to send a child to the game for the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. Uh, if you're going, great. Uh, hopefully you get a chance to go. I think it'll be a good one, Indiana and Tennessee. Uh, but if you can't go or if you are going, Help a, a, a young person be able to experience the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl on January 2nd. You can go to ESPN690.com. The average cost is $75. So basically looking for a donation to send a kid to the game. And we have a bus that we are trying to fill up of local kids so we can send them to the game. So pretty cool deal. Hopefully you'll be able to do that. And each child will get transportation to and from the game, a meal, pregame tailgate activities, a commemorative T-shirt, and a ticket to see Indiana take on Tennessee. So once again, ESPN690.com. I'll remind you about it on social media, but also the next few weeks. And uh, let's stuff a bus, Austin Lane, and send some kids to the game to check out the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. I love it. Absolutely, man. There's nothing better than being a kid and going to a football game, man. You can't beat it. So I'm completely on board with this whole thing. All right, love the idea of it. Thanks again to Philip Fulmer. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that game, of course, in the next few weeks. And we are going to relive some of the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl memories. Again, this is the 75th edition, which is a, a really, really cool deal. When we come back, does the NFL need a Jimmy Sexton or a Scott Boris to help player salaries, guaranteed salaries? Would it work? Or will it never happen in the NFL? I can't wait to hear what Austin has to say about this. It's coming up next. I'm live in Daytona. Bowls a few hours away from playing a Class 4A state championship game against Booker T. Washington. That kicks off at 7 o'clock. We're here for it on ESPN 690 and on CBS 47 and Fox 30. And, and, and particularly on the defense. We, we've really improved defensively. Offensively, I don't think we've found a consistency yet, but we're we're... we're I tell everybody somebody's band's going to be playing. <laughs> you know, it might not be ours. We're pretty exciting, you know, on offense. That was Philip Fulmer moments ago on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Very cool to talk to uh, Fulmer, obviously Tennessee legend, now the athletic director, longtime coach, played there, just a lifer, really, uh, at uh, the University of Tennessee. And uh, they're in Knoxville. They're excited to be here for the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl, and that's a, a really cool thing. Brent Martineau here in Daytona. We're excited to be here for the Class 4A state championship game, Bowles against Booker T. Washington. Uh, Bowles has arrived. Just saw uh, some of the coaches as they set up because I'm actually in their office, their booth, the coach's booth, where they'll call the game from. I'm going to leave them a couple of plays. Austin Lane back in the Action Sports Jack studios. I think John Bachman will check in in just a moment as well. Oh, he's, first, he's here right now. Let's go to the lines. And Tom, I think, had a college football question. I'm not sure if it's about the Gators or the Gator Bowl. What's up, Tom? Uh, Yeah, I was just wondering, how did Virginia luck out? When 
the what are they in the coastal? Who knows? That sorry <laughs> conference qualify to play us. They barely beat Miami. We barely beat Miami, granted, but we we improved. Thirteen and a half point favorites in the Orange Bowl. The Orange Bowl. Historic Orange Bowl. It's a joke. I need to get in that line of work. (laughs) All right, Tom, appreciate the call, man. Uh, Thanks for listening to Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Uh, Listen, these automatic bids are the places to go, right, with the ACC. And we also learned something last uh, last weekend in the championship games. We learned it with Georgia. And some people thought Florida might hurdle Georgia because they got blasted by LSU in the championship game. And then Florida might be able to take the spot to the Sugar Bowl. Same goes for Wisconsin. If Wisconsin had lost, would they not go to the Rose Bowl, Penn State instead? So all those things happen. Virginia got trounced. So should somebody else go? Or see, all this, it just comes down to we found out on the weekend that the college football playoff committee is not going to penalize teams for losing championship games. They are going to just say, hey, you can't drop spots because you played that extra game. And that's the way they treated it this week. Oh, the phone's ringing in here. I wonder if I should answer it, guys. Um, I have no idea who it might be. <laughs> answer it, man. <laughs> I, I yeah, I'm not going to. Um, you're just gonna get it ringing. Coach's but corner. Yeah. Is, is that corner. Tom? Is Tom not liking my answer? So he's actually got my the, the, the phone in here. <laughs> I mean, not. could that be happening? No one wants to see. What were they? 23 Virginia take on a, a top 10 team, or 24 Virginia take on number nine Florida? Come on. I I get it, but at the same time, this is what I say to Gator fans a little bit. I understand that. Would you rather play maybe a Baylor team that brings a little bit more excitement, or you know, say, say whatever team you want to play? I understand that you like the matchup a little bit better. But don't you also love the idea of getting another win, no matter what may be looking good for recruiting? You're going to feel good, most likely, when you come out of that football game on December 30th. That's, I think, a good thing. I mean, isn't it a good thing for the Gators, if you think about where they were three years ago to where they are right now, that they're a 13.5-point favorite? Think about where they were in the SEC championship games a couple years against Alabama. They were like 20-point underdogs in those games. So this could very much be the flip side of things for Florida. They're going to the Orange Bowl. Enjoy it. I don't even care that you're playing Virginia, but don't take them lightly because I think you got to play well, get another win, and keep the momentum going if I'm if I'm the University of Florida. I get it's not the greatest yeah. from a fan standpoint, but at the end of the day, I think Gator fans are going to be smiling on New, on New Year's Eve because they got a W. Well, listen, yeah, I understand you can't take them lightly, and as far as recruiting is concerned, I mean, I don't know if it really helps you that much with Virginia playing the ACC. I get it. like They're, they're a known brand, but it's not like Michigan, you know. Like well, when you no, hear when you hear Florida versus Michigan, like oh, that's that's an interesting thing. No matter how Michigan does during the season, it's like that's still Michigan football. You know, Virginia doesn't carry that same pomp and circumstance. And I feel like if you're going to play a team that's nine and four, you know, that, that's kind of just barely in the top twenty-five, then let them play, like have an intriguing game, like Appalachian State or something like that, where we don't know too much about them. Like can can Florida hang with like the little guy? You know, like that's to me a game I want to see. The, the, the Virginia, yeah. you know, I just I'm. It doesn't really do anything for me. I'm still going to watch it, obviously. I, but. Hey, I get your point. You're going to yeah. watch because you have to watch it. What's my uh, job? So we can talk about it. Yeah. But <laughs> I, 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 I get uh, I get what you're saying, but that would be worse. Like, Florida doesn't want to play Appalachian State. I mean, Virginia almost feels that way, and Appalachian State almost carries more intrigue than Virginia. I Correct. understand. But what I'm saying about the recruiting, man, is you keep momentum going. Like, you just keep everything going. And so they're going to get an 11th win. To me, mm-hmm. that's better than playing maybe Baylor and losing in the Orange Bowl. Or in the Sugar Bowl, it, it just—it's a win, most likely, yeah. if you take care of business. And you still have to be careful. Virginia's not that bad a team; they're just not good. Doesn't come with a lot of uh, name recognition, as well. Thanks for the call, Tom. Appreciate it.
both uh, in the studio and here at Daytona um, for calling everywhere we are. Uh, so Brent Martino, Austin Lane, and uh, John Bachman, welcome to the show, man. Hey, it's good to be here. I'm in your seat. I'm sitting next to you, even though you're you know you're not here. And I'm looking at this life size. Uh, caricature, <laughs> and I, uh, I'm about to tweet a picture on who I think you look like in this picture. Uh-oh. In this caricature, Brent. I, I, I gotta say, it's a great looking caricature. Um, <laughs> well, earlier it was one the thing video I'm gonna pick on. Not working you just signed here, a new contract. So. It, it does uh, look like you just signed a new contract. Yep. Like it, it's like, yeah, they were down me, now look at me now. New contract. <laughs> I like his teeth. I know, man. They're, they're, they are. Shiny those bright. curly whites, man. I mean, those milk of magnesia whites. You can't, you can't beat it. <laughs> so hey, um, we we need. Hey, do we need a Scott Boris in TV land? Oh, uh, <laughs> I. You know, I, have you ever had an agent, Brent? No, I, I have. I yeah, do not I have an agent anymore. Really? I take all How's my that money for an answer. I take Most all said. my money. Yeah, I. I um, take. I take all million dollars of my. Salary. All the million dollars. Well, that's good. I need to get your agent. Maybe you can be my agent now. <laughs> um, on second thought, on second thought, I need an agent. Um, no. As play- Whoa, hey, what was that? Was that? How we doing, Coos? Are you okay, Coos? Coos, did you just fall he down? He just fell asleep on the board and pushed no, we're a good, button. We're good. That all was right. his forehead, I think. All right. Um, yeah, no, I, I had an agent when I first got in the business, and. Um, and and came to the realization that I could pretty much do what the agent was doing and keep 10% of my salary. Done. So that's how I, it happened. I will, I will say this, though, John, in our business, a little behind the curtain. Yeah. Um, I think it's very – I just said this to somebody today, actually. I was just talking about it. I think in our business and growing up in our business and, and kind of moving along and as you try to uh, you know take that next step, whether you're in a different market or you, you change markets or get promoted or whatever it is. But I think in our business, it's very – hard to know like what the person in that position you're chasing might make like even in a market or in a position so uh it's really like you don't really know you're a little blinded by it so you say hey i feel pretty good about making this but i don't know if i got enough or i'm complaining about making this maybe i shouldn't be complaining i'm probably doing okay like that's how that our is, business that works. is the value that is absolutely the value of an a well the you know the agents value are you know they they do, they know that information and they also you know know the people who are hiring and can get you you know your look that you know that everybody's looking for just give me a chance so you're absolutely right brendan and i think especially when you're younger in this business it's more important to have that kind of person in your corner, I, I just think at some point you get to the to the point in your career where you you know you, you kind of already know. Yeah, yeah, I get that part. Uh, what yeah. I'm saying too in our business, and this is what's unusual, as I try to equate it to someone who just signed a 324 million dollar contract. <laughs> but uh, in, in our I business, knew I should have worked on my pitching. <laughs> uh, dang, I wish that arm didn't hurt oh. so much. Um, but I I think in our business what happened is like in the 80s and 90s people probably were making more money potentially than they were even making that people are making now in our business potentially that's unusual yeah. right I mean as as in most landscapes people make more money rather than less money and it might not be across the board but you get my point I mean yeah. it was it was more lucrative in say the TV world. Uh, I don't know about the radio world, but in the TV world, maybe back in the early 90s when there wasn't a million channels and more people were watching TV and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. What's changed in like sport is everything keeps making more and more and more money. Um, and so that alone is different. The other thing about athletics is your salary is right there in front of everybody. So everybody knows what the next guy's making. Like how much more money 
did Garrett Cole make just because Steven Strasburg signed his deal two days earlier? Fantastic point. Yep. yep. You know? And so that's what's interesting about, like, I guess the private world as opposed to the athletic world. And while we would be talking about a different scale of dollars, uh, we're kind of talking about the same thing. If I knew ex-sportscaster across the street made this amount of money, could I say, hey, I need to make that amount of money? Well, are there are there so-called agents in, in other industries? I mean, I know they're headhunters, right? I mean, I, I, do do insurance a- agents have agents, <laughs> so to speak? Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't or, know. or uh, does your CPA have a a go-to? You know, I mean, I know there are headhunting agencies out there yeah. where they probably have to divulge uh, at least a price range, right, a salary range. But I, I don't yeah. know. I just I've never worked in the quote-unquote real world, so I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, well, I've already asked for what Stephen A. Smith is making, and so oh. far it hasn't come in. Well, I can tell you there's probably at least one more zero at the end of your check from his to yours. <laughs> <laughs> at, at least one. Possibly more than one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there might be more than one. Uh, or two. Uh, yeah. But anyway, my whole point of the story is, and what I want to get back to, and Austin, you can speak to this. You're, you're an NFL guy, um, and you made an X amount of money in the NFL. And what I always talk about is the, the, say, the bottom half of the roster, maybe bottom third of the roster, because a lot of the money in the NFL is tied up in the top, say, eight guys, eight to ten guys in the roster. Well, would a Scott Boris-type guy who kind of moves all the money around in Major League Baseball and represents so many big hitters and big players, would something like that work in the NFL? Would it be beneficial? We see it with Jimmy Sexton in the coaching profession, and we see it with Scott Boris in Major League Baseball. Quite frankly, I'm not sure if there's one in the NBA, although what's his name? Uh, who's uh, uh, LeBron's agent? Who he, he well, did a little bit of, of that guys. this offseason. It's one of his guys, right? Who's yeah, who's taken over everybody by storm. Um, I'm pretty sure. Rich Paul. So, yeah, Rich, Rich, Rich Paul. And and so Drew Rosenhaus felt like he might be that guy for a little bit in the NFL, and maybe he even was that guy. But does the NFL need that? Awesome. Would it benefit to have a guy that's really in charge of making all the like 40 percent? of the NFL players' money. Isn't that the Players Association's job? Yeah, I mean... No, it's not, though. It's not. They're not agents for the players. They back the players when it comes to different... trying to get them more money overall, like bigger piece of the pie. But not a, you don't go to the players' union to get to work your deal out. Yeah, I think... Listen, I think it would be beneficial for sure to have just that one guy to go to. But at the same time, as opposed to MLB... You deal with NFL, where there's always transactions, there's always guys getting cut, looking for new jobs, and when they get cut, those contracts are now void, right? They don't get the guaranteed money. So from the perspective of where, if you're in Major League Baseball, you kind of cast out this net and you cover the umbrella of those players, it has to be a lot larger net uh, for NFL players, and I just don't know if they have the resources and just, I guess, the, the manpower to have one guy just take over the whole game like that. I just... I can't see it happening anytime soon just because there are so many players and there are so many constant you know, transactions going on. Are you making yeah. the argument, Brent, that Boris is good for baseball? Well, I'm not a big Boris fan, but the more and more I think about what Boris has done, and if you – you know, it's, it's a free market. And so I'm also not a, opposed to these guys making this kind of money. Uh, to, I, somebody's I don't paying it. it. Of course. But if somebody's paying it and the owners are making it, and now that I like, if you had asked me this ten years ago, I would have said, "Man, Scott Boris is bad for baseball." And now, I think of more of it from an athlete perspective, and especially because we cover the NFL, and it's really players against owners so much when it, you talk about salary. And so I'm just thinking from a 
from that landscape where owners seem to be making so much money and the players are always battling and saying we're not making enough, we play a violent game, we never know how long we can last in the game, and the money's not guaranteed, would it be better instead of the players' union that's always going butting heads on various issues for a, a one big agent or maybe two big agents in the game to really control the landscape uh, to create more dollars. Because if you control the landscape, what Boris is able to do is really play teams against each other. I wouldn't say he plays clients against each other. He plays clients to the point where I can get you more dollars if this guy gets more dollars. You know, He, He benefits the clients and the player in that respect. And he really... I wouldn't say holds hostage the organizations, but he's got a lot of power over organizations when it comes to an offseason and negotiating contracts. I was just going to say, I don't see how one one agent or one agency could have that power. I mean, it goes back to the to the union again, and you look at, you know, just like, for instance, the longshoremen here in Jacksonville. I mean, that union exists for a reason. Now, whether you like it or you don't like it, that's not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is they have... There, there's a role there. There's a purpose there. Whether whether they do it or not is not what we're talking about. So, the players' union, in theory, is the only thing that has where everybody's a member of. You know, I mean, one agency simply can't represent everybody. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know how it could possibly to kind of to your point, Austin. I don't know how that would work. It, it, it simply wouldn't work just because there are so many players. And keep in mind, yes, like negotiating contracts, it's it's very important. It's probably the biggest. Uh, Part of being an agent, but at the same time, there's other things you have to do. You know, you you have to find your clients' housing if they if they need it. You have to get your clients' endorsements if they want it. You have to set your clients with interviews if they want it. And you're talking about, you know, I mean, in, a, in, the, in the training camp in off season, 90 guys, and then you times that by 32. That's a lot of guys to keep tabs of. So I just, yeah, I, I can't foresee it happening. Not to say it wouldn't be a good thing, but once again, just one agency doesn't have the manpower uh, or the resources to be able to do that. I probably you, didn't explain it very well either, but I, you don't have to have every player. Scott yeah. Boris doesn't have yeah. every player in Major League Baseball, yeah. but he yeah. has a lot of the heavy hitters. That's right. You and need a couple like, big guys on each team. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he has more than a couple, though, John. Right. I mean, his guy controls the, the salaries and, and the landscape of baseball more than any agent in the game, and right. maybe more than any agent in professional sports. I right. mean, he is, I, I tweeted last night, is he the most powerful person in sports? Right. I mean, I think you can make the argument, and, and what my case is, hey, and, and Austin, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I think if you have, say, the, say uh, one agent has Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Lamar Jackson, uh, Deshaun Watson, and Patrick Mahomes. Well, he's going to, at some point in time, be able to make those guys a crap load of money, right? And, and he's going to be able, I'm going to say this and this and this and move. And that's what Boris has essentially done over time. Well, if you make those guys a ton of money, my view is, I think I'm right on this, is if you make the top-heavy guys more money, then at least you're bringing up the bottom guys, too. Because yeah. naturally, I don't think, like... Like, uh, if someday Patrick Mahomes signs for $45 million a year, I don't think the minimum salary is going to stay at $450,000. You get my point? No, I get your point. But at the same time, we have to remember with, with football players is the goal is to win a championship. And any time you offer that free agent player or you re-sign a quarterback to your team, you're saying we're paying you so-and-so amount of money because we want you to win us a championship. Well, in the NFL, there's a salary cap. So you have to ask yourself the question of how much can you really go above and beyond what the top guys are getting right now because at the end of the day, the salary cap will always 
dictate how much a player makes. So yes, there's going to be new contracts and there'll be unprecedented numbers. But at the end of the day, you have to make sure it fits so that the, the, the little guys, you know, the guys that are on the bottom of the roster, can still fit on that team to win a championship. So, so the, the salary cap has lost. So the, really too. the question then is, do we does the NFL switch over from a salary cap to a luxury tax, which is what they do in the NFL, sure. right? Where, in other words, you can go over it, but you just have to pay for it. Yeah. No, uh, to me, you can't do that because then there starts to be a lot more things in play. Um, set aside to where, like, you know, you can kind of buy a team. I mean, basically, if well, you that's look, what's happening in, in Major but, League Baseball, yeah, right? But, you yeah, got, like, the four Jags teams would really can actually win it. Well, yeah, I mean, the Jags, yeah. like teams like the Jags, would really suffer. Yes, like, they Tampa's would. I suffering. agree. Right? Yeah. I agree, and that's what makes NFL great. And maybe that's your point, Austin. Well, maybe it is, but at the same time, though, I think, like, say, like a high price quarterback, or we have Garrett Cole, the, the high price pitcher. Yeah, there is so much more stake in having a a high price quarterback because he's the general of the team as opposed to having Garrett Cole maybe pitch, you know, every four or five games. Like, yeah, he's going to have an influence on the game, but not as much as a quarterback for 16 straight games. So from that perspective, it's like, well, you're talking about the quarterback position. I mean, you're talking astronomical um, numbers just because you value that position so much. So I just think, truthfully, I think it will ruin the game. And actually, you have to remember, so if you pay that quarterback that much money, does it hurt maybe the defensive guys then a little bit? Because if you're paying the quarterback that much money, well, you know, it's going to have an effect on the other guys. So I just, I don't like not having a salary cap. Well, it certainly would hurt football. Look at Bortles and Foles' contract are killing the Jags right now, essentially, in a lot of different ways. Potentially, I should say. They, they could potentially kill the Jags. Uh, if, if the Yankees don't like John Carlos Stanton, even though they have his contract, it didn't stop them from getting Garrett Cole. (laughs) So that's the difference in Major League Baseball versus NFL, which you wouldn't have been able to do that necessarily in the NFL. All right, we've got to run in just a minute. John, uh, what you got coming up? You've got to run. You're on in 15 minutes. I do have to run. So a couple things. Number one, uh, our good buddy Stuart Weber taking us to Hilliard today to introduce us to the senior who had a really bad head injury during a football game and has now set his sights on something, I would say, bigger and better even. Um, Pretty impressive kid and uh and Stewart's gonna give that story coming up on action news jackson five and then just for you brent yes i have breaking news on rockville uh welcome to rockville which of course is not in jacksonville anymore for the first time it's in daytona where you are Right, it you're is. in Daytona, right? So I'm actually just... arrived early for the May 8th show. <laughs> <laughs> you have arrived early. <laughs> but listen to this lineup, Brent. You will not want to miss this. Yeah. Metallica, baby. Boom. Have you already talked about this? Uh, I mean, oh, come man. on, John. Listen, you're late to John. the party, man. Come on, yeah. John. You're, come come on, why man. did you tell me, Austin, that you've John. already talked about I'm, this? I'm offended that you talked about, about it. I brought it up yesterday. It. Yeah, oh. of course, man. Friday. I'll see you there Friday. Either yeah. either we do the show for, there from Friday, or I'm just calling in sick. But I'm not going to miss Metallica and the Deftones. Tell you that I, right now. Look, this is me ripping up my script. Here I am. <laughs> I thought I was dropping knowledge. How how dare you come I, in here and think is, that we didn't because, talk about Rockville? Because I know how much Brent hates it. That's well, yeah, why I thought I was bringing it at in. At the same time, you know how much I love it, man. I do. You're and right. There you go. There man, you go. I should have known. I should have known. But any uh, any but, bands you're looking forward to, to seeing? My well, I mean Metallica. Metallica. Yeah. I mean, 
how can you not? Well, and here's the thing. So they're playing two nights. Brent, feel free to go use the bathroom real quick. So so Metallica's <laughs> playing two nights, John. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and I get it. You have the insider information. I want you to find out, since they're playing two nights, my prediction is the oh. first night they play on Friday, yeah. they're going to play stuff. their older weapon. Yeah, their older stuff, their older yeah. albums. Yeah. And then Sunday night, when they play their second night, they got the new we'll, stuff. The new stuff. Yeah. Which, in case, will work out for me because I'm going Friday. Here's what I would do if I was them. Think it's going to happen? I would No. no I disagree with yeah, that theory. I hear you. I think they're going to, they're if, if from a marketing <laughs> strategic standpoint, from, they're going to. From gonna, a crowd standpoint. Well, and yeah. from a crowd standpoint, but for, for basically to benefit all. Yeah. Right? And justice for all. Yes. See how I did that? I like that. Yep. Um, you will be sprinkling in the new stuff with the old stuff I got both you. days. Yeah, that makes it has sense. has to be done that way. That makes because sense. otherwise. It's. I mean, that would, I mean, they, if, it, if you're it, playing well, Master and Puppets and Ride the Lightning that first night, right, and then later. Friday they don't yeah. get it, yeah, or Saturday, what is it's, it Friday, Saturday, Sunday, yeah, it'll be for Friday and Sunday, 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 yeah, and Sunday we get Saint Anger and Death Magnetic. Well, it's kind of yeah, like, Death yeah, Magnetic was not very yeah, good, yeah, but I mean, let's, you, well, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> right, Brent. Uh, what? <laughs> what? Hey, All John, right. I think the news director is calling you on TV in 10 seconds. <laughs> I got 13 more minutes we can talk about this. Oh, I wish we could, man. Uh, All right, John Bachman. Thanks, guys. Oh, uh, hey, really quickly, I tweeted, out, I tweeted out the picture just now. Bachman I saw and Jax. Did you like that, Brent? I I'm more handsome than them. Well, I'm not saying you're not more handsome, but I mean, there's I a resemblance. You got to check it out. <laughs> and also, be sure to check out uh, John and me's podcast. It's going to be All Things Metallica premiering next month uh, on iTunes. Baby. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, we'll be back on ESPN 690. The Bulls Bulldogs have arrived. Check out John, Tanika, Mike Burrish, 5 o'clock till 7 o'clock, CBS 47, Fox 30. I'll do a live shot during that show from here at the state championship game in Daytona. More ESPN 690 next. I think when you get to these situations, and it's, it's not rocket science. I mean, everybody's fighting to maintain, to try to stay in the league. You know, whether it's players by doing a good job being able to perform so they can keep a job, or whether it be coaches doing a good job with their position group, or whether it be me trying to win football games. You know, I think that's something that, you know, that we've, we've all talked about. Uh, Doug Marone saying it how it is earlier today on a Wednesday. Jags continue to fish for answers, and they've come up empty all month long. Now a five-game losing streak, uh, 17 points or more in each of them. The latest, a 45-10 to 10 loss to the Chargers. Now they swap coasts, and they head to Oakland to face a Raiders team that also is reeling but will be emotional playing in their final game in the Oakland Coliseum. Let's talk more about the NFL right now as I'm in Daytona for... The Bowl School playing against Booker T. Washington, the Class 4A state championship game. They have just arrived, by the way, here in Daytona. Action Sports Jacks, Austin Lane in the studio here on a Wednesday, 5 o'clock. Thanks for hanging out with us on ESPN 690. Ryan O'Halloran joins us right now from the Denver Post out in Denver. Weather report, please. <laughs> um, terrific. Uh, high 40s. Um, they need a jacket at practice. Uh, so... But it's supposed to uh, cool down a little bit this weekend. The big question is, Brent, since you're in Daytona, did Gene Frenette lead the Bulldogs off the bus? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I was looking for a little bit of that gray hair down there, and I think uh, it might have been him. It might have been him. <laughs> a very good question. I kind of forgot about that. You took me by surprise, but I love the reference uh, to the Bowl School. Uh, good luck to the Bulldogs tonight. Hey, I'm going to ask you a question that uh, we had in the show. You know, obviously the Jags are 
gone for the season. Uh, even the team that you cover, the Broncos, uh, although they're playing good, we'll get to that in a moment, or playing better, uh, their season's done in terms of postseason. Who would you ride with right now if you had one team to pick, any uh, division, any conference, one team from here to February all the way to Miami, who would it be? Um, I, I think it's Baltimore. Uh, they just look like a complete team. If, the, if quarterback Lamar Jackson can make it to the playoffs healthy, uh, they look like they can stop teams. He can throw it. They can run it. They get turnovers. They look like the most solid team right now. Uh, San Francisco, normally I would say, hey, you beat New Orleans. That should make you a favorite to reach the Super Bowl. But at some point, you got to make some stops. They weren't able to make really any against the Saints. They're probably going to have to run into them again. So if I had to pick one team, it would be the Ravens. Ryan, the one thing I like about San Francisco, I said this earlier in the show, and I've said it on TV a couple times this week already, I think it's important in the NFL to be able to win different games in different styles. You know, sometimes you need to win a 10-7 game, or maybe not that low, but 16-13. And then sometimes you got to win a shootout. Uh, you know, it's one of the impressive things I remember about 17 with the Jags is they could win a variety of games once their offense got clicking, especially in December. So I, I like that about San Francisco. Now, I'm not saying you can give up 46 points a game. I get your point. But the fact that they can win a myriad of types of games, I think, might bode well for them going forward. You know, I think home field is going to be key for the Niners. I mean, a lot of these guys will be in the playoffs for the first time. Um, if they can get that by, they've had a lot of injuries. Um you know, you don't expect to see Richard Sherman until the playoffs. But if they can get that first round by, had Seattle or New Orleans come to them, um, I think that would be a big advantage for them. Ryan, we're looking at the AFC here, and Brent and I kind of talked about this a little bit, where, you know, he's he, he's a big fan of the Chiefs possibly being able to make some noise in the playoffs here. And I'm more of a, under the philosophy of, you know, the Chiefs are going to have to play in bad weather eventually, whether it's in Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, or New England. Like, you can expect some cold weather and probably some snow-type games. And if you look at the Chiefs' offense, you know, it's predicated more on passing the ball than it is more of that smash-mouth style. I guess I guess my question to you is, am I thinking a little too much into this whole weather thing, or does weather really make a difference in the playoffs, usually? Uh, well, the key thing is wind. Yeah. Um, you talk to quarterbacks, most of these guys can throw a wet football. Uh, they can handle the cold temperatures, but if, if, that, if, if their throws are getting knocked down, there's no, there, there's, the wind is undefeated. So Foxborough <laughs> with the configuration of that stadium, Baltimore with the configuration of that stadium, the wind can swirl. I think the Chiefs, that was a breakthrough win for them against the Patriots um, because most likely they'll have to go back there in the divisional round. New England's offense is broken, and I watched the Chiefs Patriots game yesterday because the Chiefs got the Broncos next. I thought Steve Spagnoli did a nice job mixing up his pressures, and he sent at least five dropbacks for Brady. He sent more rushers than they had blockers, which means something is amiss on New England. They couldn't protect and they can't get open. So I would be surprised if the Chiefs went there in the second round and beat the Pats. Yeah, I don't think I would be that surprised either. Uh, Field Yates just uh, tweeted out this afternoon. Perspective on the Tennessee Titans' recent explosive offense. I don't know if you guys saw this. Over the past 40 seasons, there have been just 34 games in which an offense has averaged 9-plus yards per play. The Titans have done it twice in the past three weeks. So I want to talk about the Titans a little bit, but I will add a note to that Field Yates tweet. Remember, that's in the last 40 years, only 34 games in which an offense has averaged nine-plus yards per play. It's happened twice in the last three weeks to the Jaguars' defense, the Titans and the Chargers. (laughs) That's crazy. Um, So I I, I never asked you a question, Ryan. But, I mean, is Tennessee for real? I mean, are they for real? um, I I mean... 
I guess semi for real. I, mean, I wouldn't have. I thought the Titans were DOA when they lost the Broncos sixteen nothing. But Denver did them a favor. They chased off Marcus Mariota. You figure Ryan Tannehill would give them a little bit of a bump, um, but not this kind. You know, and I think they, on offense they figured out who they should be. And that's what the, that's what the Yuli Bulldozer leading the way. And you know, an MO for him all the way back to his Heisman Trophy year is this guy is a home run hitter for a big man and. That's that's impacts those average per play. If you pop a couple of those per game, and he hit, and that's what Derek's been doing. Ryan, for, that okay, for well, you know how I feel about the Titans, Brent. I said as soon as Tannehill went in, they're you know, they're a different team, and they're definitely playing like it right now. And they're in, you know, they're in they're in line to possibly win a division and get a playoff berth. I guess my question to you, Ryan, is the fact that so Tannehill's playing really good right now. I get that, you know, and he signed to a one year deal right now. I mean, if you're the Titans. Mm-hmm. You almost have to go all in on Ryan Tannehill, right? Because he's proven that so far so good. But are, if, if you're the GM right now, the Titans, are you willing to kind of go all in with Ryan Tannehill and say, yes, this is the quarterback of the future for the Tennessee Titans? Uh, I'd probably meet you halfway on that, Austin. I would probably offer him a two-year deal okay. and make that first-year guarantee saying, hey, you did a hell of a job this year. You might have led us to the division title. I would definitely wait till after the season if I'm the Titans just to see how he finishes. But I would, I would be, I would tepidly buy in because <laughs> um, you're going to move on from Mariota. Let's say you sign Tannehill to a two-year deal. That means you should still draft one in the first couple rounds, start developing him because Tannehill's Tannehill's history, unfortunately for him, is can't stay healthy. Mm-hmm. So start grooming another guy to where if, if, if reality arises for Ryan Tannehill next year, you can at least start a you know a soft transition. Yeah, I agree with you there. That's a good answer, in my opinion, Ryan. I, I think you. I don't think there'll be a lot of suitors after him, so it'll be a little no. bit like some people will be like, "Hey, yeah, I'm interested," but nobody's going all in other than Tennessee. So it's almost a little bit like the Jag situation with Foles, where did you have to pay him that much because there weren't a ton of people coming after him? So I think Tennessee should be careful uh, in that situation. It shows you how hard it is to evaluate the quarterback position. I mean, you could sit there and say, Rabel, what were you looking? In practice, or what were you looking at in camp? You went with Mariota again, and this guy could play like this? Well, Tannehill had shown nothing like he could play like this. All of a sudden, something clicks in Nashville. It's pretty wild. Meanwhile, in Jacksonville, nothing is clicking, man. You know it. You're seeing it from afar. How shocked are you that they haven't made any change? Just something. And and what my argument around here is not to, like, save the season, but to save embarrassment. Because nothing mm-hmm. is changing. They can't play defense. They can't score on offense. And you know the numbers. They've lost five weeks in a row by 17-plus points. That's a 117-point differential in the last five weeks. That's the worst in franchise history. How surprised are you they haven't made any kind of move? Um, I am surprised that there hasn't been uh, you know, an assistant coach or something like that, uh, a head roll that way. But from their end, they're probably looking at the quarterback position. We made it, they made a change there. But this five-game stretch, I mean, right now this is the worst team in the league. I mean, the Bengals have a worse record, but the Jaguars are playing terribly. I mean, this is worse than the 2012 season where they were awful. This is worse than the 2013 season when they at least won four of their last eight. You just you see a lack of focus, a lack of want to. And, you know, three years ago they fired Gus with two games to go, and their excuse was, well, we don't want to get a head start at, on the process. Well, I think the only reason they would do that with Doug Marone is, that's the only way you can hire a search firm is if you have an opening. Um, so they're going to, you know, hire Jed Hughes again probably, and he'll continue to that racket as a <laughs> consultant. Um, 
But I think if 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 they if they get blown out again by Oakland and they decide, hey, let's get the ball rolling on this process, you can make a move then. But here's the other thing: when they fired Gus, that next day, Shai Khan said. Dave Caldwell's leading the search. Well, he led the search until Tom Coughlin came aboard. So yeah. um, the first decision Shot has to make is, okay, how's my front office going to look? I have to do that search first, then let him pick the coach. So of all the teams here that have uncertainty, the Jaguars at the top of the list because you don't know what their status is above the head coaching position. Yeah, absolutely. Right, go ahead, man. It's talking right on Hallen from the Denver Post. Brennan beat you to it. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Nice job. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, so, Ryan, uh, during this week, uh, Brett and I, we've been trying to talk about, you know, if you are a Jaguars fan, like, what optimism can you have going forward? Like, what can you take away from this team right now that's on the field? And what can you say, well, you know what? We have that next year. And obviously you have Leonard Fournette. Um, you possibly could have Minshew. I think DJ Chark has been a nice surprise but outside of those things right there, there hasn't been a lot of positives. So I guess my question to you is, you know, entering this offseason and then entering the NFL draft where the, the Jaguars will have a lot of draft capital, I mean, what is the first thing, and there's a lot of things, but what is the first thing the Jaguars should probably address on that team? Well, let's say you're the new GM and you hire a new coach. First thing is you've got to decide who your quarterback is. And I would be totally against keeping both of them. Uh, because there are enough distractions during the course of a pro football season without creating them yourself. And after the first or second game, let's say they give Minshew the starting job and new head coach Lincoln Riley says after one game, oh, now what? (laughs) But you like my Lincoln Riley line? (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh, no, 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 I like it. No, I'm just I'm trying but, to picture it because this um, is what I've been saying before, too. <laughs> but um, to, to finish that thought is, I mean, if I'm a Jaguar fan, if they lose the rest of their games, I don't care. Um, that means you're 4-12. and 12, You may get a top-five pick. You have a lot of other picks in those first couple rounds. I just want to know, okay, Shad, what's your plan? And that's a, that's a question me and Brent have asked him several times throughout the years uh, when they've gone silent is, okay, I know you guys have a plan. Just let us know what it is. We can decide whether to trust it. Um, right now, we don't know, but there are a lot of holes on this roster. You mentioned Fournette. Okay. DJ Chark, fine. They have, you know, Juwan Taylor. Is he a building block? I don't know yet. On defense, Miles Jack, I think his status is uncertain. That's a bad contract waiting to happen if it hasn't already happened. But Josh Allen, Yannick Ngakwe, okay. That leaves a lot of holes in the cupboard for this new coach and this potentially new front office to uh, add to. And, and Ryan, and you mentioned too, Shad Khan, a little bit being quiet. And listen, it's not uncommon for an owner to be quiet during the NFL season, especially an owner who may not be knowledgeable with the X's and O's and everything. But I'm from the standpoint, and what makes me frustrated is from the standpoint where if you are to be quiet when your team is doing so horribly, you, you're putting a poor product on the field, well, then why not make some noise and make a coaching change or make some kind of staff change? That way... You don't have to come out and do this big press conference and answer, answer questions, but we still know you're there. We still know that you're watching, and we still know that you're trying to do the best thing for the team as possible. Yeah, and he talked in midseason, which I'm glad he's back on that. He does interviews in London thing because that's how it was when he first took over the team. I mean, I, my guess is that his camp is just waiting for heads for the for firings to happen before he addresses the state of the franchise. Um, it just feels like, I mean, I could be 100% strong. It just feels like they're just waiting for the season to end. Just, okay, just let's just get through the last three games. And I'm sure you guys, you know, he has a couple of lists in mind. But he's got to decide, okay, the Tom Coughlin situation is delicate. 
you you know do you, you do you want to ask them to retire? Do you want to push them out? Are you worried about the potential backlash, which I don't think there would be a lot of? Uh, then you do a Dave Caldwell. Um, you know he's made a couple of trades that's going to help you potentially help this organization. And then obviously I think there's going to be sweeping changes on the coaching staff. So it uh, you know ownership has their hands full. They I, I they probably never thought they would have to go through this kind of thing this soon, but they're back on the drawing board. Yeah, everything has happened so much, like a year before you would even envision it happening. I think uh, when it comes to the Foles situation, maybe even the Bortles. They needed a year out of Bortles in that contract. They couldn't get it. They needed a year yeah, maybe it, out of out of Foles. They can't get it. I mean, everything's happened it, too soon. Yeah, and, and yesterday's development that the cap could go up another $13 million, uh, up to 201 that helps teams like the Jaguars. They can very easily create a lot of space, but more importantly is they can use that bump in the cap to absorb some dead money, I think that brings the fullest thing in. The, you know, maybe crystallizes that a little bit if you decide that Minshew is your guy going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post. Uh, by the way, news out of Jacksonville, out of Jags headquarters. Quincy Williams is going on IR, so uh, the rookie linebacker has really struggled. I think it's a hand injury for Quincy Williams, so uh, that's a new development. They have sweeping holes all over the place, and linebacker certainly has been one of them the last few weeks. All right, away from the Jags, and we'll finish with this. Wow. What in the world happened with Denver, and how good is Drew Locke? Is this a minimal bump, or is this something that we should really keep an eye on? Because in the last two weeks, he's beaten Deshaun Watson and Phillip Rivers, and he's got Patrick Mahomes next. Yeah, I mean, it's encouraging for a Bronco fan uh, with Drew Locke's first two starts. Uh, I mean, against Houston on Sunday, first quarterback in his first road start to have 300 yards, three touchdowns, and a win. So a lot of quarterbacks have started on the road. So... You, know, you get asked, is he the franchise quarterback? I don't go that far yet, but he's definitely their quarterback. I think these last three games are key for John Elway. If he finishes well, you can name him your guy going to 2020, and you can worry about other positions during those first three to four rounds of the draft. Um, Houston's defense should be ashamed of themselves. They didn't cover anybody. They sold out against the run. They weren't they weren't prepared for the misdirection, the play action, and. You know, nobody coaches a favorite to a loss like Bill O'Brien, so that was a bad loss for them. Now you go against Kansas City's defense, which brought a ton of pressure on Tom Brady uh, Sunday and got a lot of hits on number 12. So, you know, it's, he's good. Drew Locke's going to face adversity, and maybe this week, but they feel he's wired the right way to handle those ups and downs within a game. Ryan, you know, as I watch the past two Broncos games here, and I get it, it's still early to kind of predict what's going to happen for the rest of the season going into training camp next year, but do you kind of see possibly a shift of kind of the Denver Broncos identity a little bit? Because to me, they've always been run the ball first and play great defense. But with the emergence of Drew Locke, you have the emergence of Cortland Sutton, and now Noah Fan's starting to look like a pretty good pickup, um, you know, a pretty good draft pick. I mean, could this team kind of turn to be a pass-first, run-second team? Oh, they should be. Um, I think that was the plan they had against the Texans. And, and, and just because you pass a lot early doesn't mean you can't run it later to set up some play action and mm-hmm. you know shots like that. So I, I do think that's where the strength of their team is. And, you know, when they when they went to the Super Bowl in 13 with Peyton, it was a record-setting offense. When they won it in 15, it was the best defense in the league. Mm-hmm. Now it's cycling back. They have a lot of good core players on offense, um, you know, some a lot of veterans on defense who may or may not be back. But, you know, I like the position that they're in with some of their young guys, definitely more so than a lot of teams like the Jags. Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post. We appreciate you checking in, man. Uh, good luck uh, these last few games. Of course, we'll check in with you anyway. But uh, good one. Denver, Kansas City. Now I'm interested to see. Maybe Denver all of a sudden at the end of this year could be pretty good.
Yeah, they're a 12-point dog. So <laughs> I, I don't think the Chiefs cover, but I think they win. All right. Uh, appreciate you joining us. Have a good night. All right, fellas. Take care. All right, Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post, formerly of the Florida Times Union, covering the Jags. Checks in every Wednesday with us, talk all things uh, NFL. We're going to take a time out. How about a little bit of a preview of what's to come here in Daytona. Bowls playing in the state championship game. A lot of talent on the other side of that field, Booker T. Washington. No doubt, I think most people in the high school landscape figure Bowles is an underdog in this one, which is hard to figure considering how successful his program has been, how many state championships they've won, and uh, they're trying to get another and the first one from Matt Tolbin as the head coach here at Bowles. Talk a little high school football, but we're not done. Stay in your lane still to come. Hope you have one ready, Austin Lane. That It'll I be do. On the way. Oh, yeah. Great to roll. Plenty of homework done here on a <laughs> Wednesday. We'll be right back. When you look at it, and, and I think it's easy from a, an outside perspective to say, you know, what do they got to play for? What do they have to do? They're really, they're, we're all fighting for our jobs. You know, and I think when you when you look at it, you know, from that standpoint, you know, each person has to make their own decision on how to handle this thing. Well, that's a good comment, I think, from Doug Marone right there. And he said it. I mean, we're all fighting for our jobs. Uh, I've said this for the last few weeks. Uh, I think uh, the, the thing I appreciate about Doug Marone is he knows the landscape of the NFL. He's not trying to hide anything. He understands what's happened in the last five weeks, and he kind of understands what might happen or is about to happen in the next few weeks. Uh, and I'm not sure it's salvageable anymore, but you got to still keep grinding and, and uh, do whatever you can. And uh, I believe they're doing that in the building. Uh, they're just not getting any answers. I think that's the most frustrating part. I think a lot of times in the NFL, and we've talked about this a lot, Austin Lane, is you see, got, you see a bad two weeks. Maybe it goes to three weeks. But then it's fixed. The really telling part of this season was when they had three straight games of 200 yards rushing against them. Then these last couple of weeks have been atrocious as well. But the fact that they couldn't fix that and in the middle of that was a bye week as well. And they still couldn't fix that. That is unusual in the NFL, even if you're not good. <laughs> now, sometimes you can't fix offense. Because if you're not good on offense and you don't have a quarterback, you can't fix it. But I really believe on defense, if you can't fix tackling and stopping the run three straight weeks, my goodness, that's telling, especially if you really feel like you're pretty decent uh, on the defensive side of the ball at that time. I know now they're not, but if you go back to the Houston game, there are still many people that thought they were at least halfway decent on defense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we talk about all the time on this show where there's peaks and valleys. You know, there's there's ebb and flows where you're up sometimes, you're down sometimes, and every once in a while you're going to have that really good game like they kind of had against New Orleans. Now, they didn't win, but it was closer than I think a lot of people even thought it would be. And then you're going to have those blowout games. But the whole point is the fact that you're supposed to kind of remain consistent through it all. Well, through this, you know, this five-week stretch here, the Jaguars have been consistently bad, and they've been bad, bad to the point where they're not even in the ball game. So you kind of know what you, what you have as a team when you can't, you know, when you're losing by 20 plus points per game, and it is uncommon because usually the way the NFL set up was, yeah, you have that bad game, but they're supposed to be competitive games, whether it's the top versus the bottom or right in the middle. I mean, there's a reason why there's competitive games, but it's like you said, Brent. I mean, the, the only consistent thing so far in these past five weeks is that the Jaguars have not been able to compete. Absolutely. Uh, let's hit the happy hour horn here on a Wednesday, brought to you by Vita DeLuis.
thing That's enough for everyone to win We're gonna make this party the best thing I've named This is my favorite place Nothing will replace, no Anything goes Gangsters are rolling, half face smiling And so I think of the rhythm while you're drinking Anything goes Grab a drink, get a shot, sip your star tenders. Hey, Vita Delory recently got a 98 rating, and they've debuted a couple of new flavors as well, Reposado and Añejo, and those came right out of the box at a 94 rating. So very successful for Vita Delory in 2019. It's been a good year, and you need to try it if you haven't tried it just yet. A locally owned tequila in Jacksonville, made in tequila, Mexico, shipped directly to Jack's Beach. Make your own recipes with Vita Delory tequila, one of the smoothest tequilas you'll ever taste. VitaDelory.com, perfect holiday gift. Go to VitaDelory.com to find out where to purchase it and also get some merchandise on VitaDelory.com. They have some fun stuff uh, around their brand with the tequila. Brent Martineau, Austin Lane. I'm in Daytona, the Bulls Bulldogs, playing for a state champ. Championship tonight, Austin Lane at the Action Sports Jacks studios. Before we get into a little bit of high school football, a couple of news and notes. Willie Taggart, Austin, uh, the former Florida State coach, fired, of course, during the year, is now the new head coach at FAU. He takes over for Lane Kiffin, who went to Ole Miss. So a little coaching carousel <laughs> happening. And you know what? Probably a good landing spot for Willie Taggart. I figured he, you know, there was some talk about USF when Charlie Strong was fired. Might want to go back there. Ends up at FAU. Take Taking over for Lane Kiffin, that might be a spot that not only Willie Taggart lands, but could stay for quite some time. Yeah, FAU's not really, you know, skipping a beat with losing Lane Kiffin. Now you still get an offensive-minded guy in, a guy who's used to recruiting in Florida. So they should get, you know, speed from that standpoint. So overall, yeah, I don't think it's a bad fit for FAU. And obviously it's not a bad fit for Willie Taggart either, where, you know, coming off the abysmal seasons that he had in Florida State, he's kind of getting that second opportunity right off the get-go. So I think it's a mutual but beneficial uh, um, you know, job for both of them. Yeah, I think it's a good landing spot for uh, Willie Taggart. We'll see how he does there. Uh, and obviously a little bit less pressure, although FAU fans wouldn't say that, but a little <laughs> less pressure uh, probably than Florida State. And, of course, uh, Mike Norvell uh, going to Florida State. Mike Norvell stopped in Jacksonville last night to visit with four-star recruit Sandalwood High School quarterback Jeff Sims. And after conversations last night and this morning, Jeff Sims has decided to decommit from Florida State. So Florida State was ready to ink a quarterback, and now Sims says, I'm going to reopen things. I plan on signing uh, later this month, but I'm back on the open market when it comes to recruiting. So Jeff Sims opens that back up. And what this felt like, Austin, is sometimes it's not a great fit. New coach comes in, says, hey, this might not work for you, your style, my style. And I've even wondered, coming off the senior year that Sims had, and this is always tough to translate from, say, high school senior or even high school junior to how you'll be in college, uh, I, I think. I think it's a good move from Sims, I guess is what I'm getting at. I don't know where he lands, but I'm not sure it would have worked out well at Florida State for Jeff Sims. Um, But on the recruiting trail, it does come down to style. And if fit isn't a great fit for the player, I'm happy that that player realizes that, whether it was Norvell who kind of prompted him to realize that, or maybe Sims and his family said, hey, this doesn't seem like a good fit. We like the guy, but this offense might not seem like a big fit. I be- I'm a huge believer in, man, you have got to find your fit. It doesn't matter if it's FSU, FAU, uh, wherever. Find your fit. 
Well, and Sims has said that he's not going to rule out Florida State just yet. But, yeah, from your perspective, I mean, of course, where you've been dealing primarily, I assume, with Willie Taggart, and you kind of got a feel for what he is as a coach and about that culture and everything. So as soon as that's gone and that culture is gone, we'll now enter the new guy who you know, you haven't really talked to, I, I assume, before, so you don't really know what you're getting into. So absolutely, I, I think it's the right call to kind of withdraw your commit and kind of see how things shake out. And Not to say he's not going to go to Florida State, but it's good to kind of weigh your options now just because – Things will not be the same. I mean, whatever drew you to Florida State in the first place, it's no longer there. You know, yeah. so um, I, I think it's a it's a perfect call from from Sims. Well, it's interesting too because uh, just the whole recruiting deal in general, it always uh, it fascinates me because a guy like Sims was man. Even when Florida State was losing, he was raising the pom poms. Man, he was he was carrying the spear. He was like, let's go. He was trying to get other kids rallied to go. He was saying Florida State's the place to be. Well, then it breaks down. Willie Taggart's no longer there. Then you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to go here now. And that's fine, by the way. I, again, I, I think it's so important for the the student athlete to find the right fit. But uh, now I think all of a sudden Sims maybe has added some pressure because he wants to be an early enrollee. So he wants to make a decision really soon. Well, a lot of programs, too, have already found their quarterback fits. So where does this leave Sims in the whole recruiting world? It just It's not just a Jeff Sims thing. I just think it's a recruiting thing. And, and it's, a, it's fascinating, but it's also fascinatingly tough and difficult on the student-athlete. I mean, Joey Gatewood's another local example of this. He's committed for since he was in ninth grade to Auburn. Goes to Auburn, doesn't work out. Now he has to open things back up. I mean, this guy was a five-year Auburn guy. And, well, now he ends up at Kentucky. He even has to sit out, can't play next year, goes to Kentucky. So it's really tough. And we're going to see a lot of players here on this field today down in Daytona that are um, college-caliber guys that go through this recruiting process. The recruiting process is not a simple one and not one – I've said this for a long time, Austin – I don't envy it as much as other people think it's an enviable position. No, without a doubt. You have to remember. I mean, you have kids here or you have people that are making one of the biggest decisions of their life. It's going to shape them whether they play in the NFL or whether they just, you know, have a a great college degree where they can go on and pursue other interests after they're done being a student athlete. And it's one of the most most important decisions you're ever going to make. Now you're asking a 16-year-old, 17-year-old kid to make these decisions. Oh, and by the way, you have to you have to upkeep with your homework, and you gotta be you're being a cow. I mean, you're being a high school kid, and being a high school kid in general can be kind of a hard thing. So yeah, I mean, it, it is a lot of weight on you know those student athletes' shoulders and everything like that. And I'm I'm all for them taking their time, doing their due diligence, and making sure that they make the ultimately the best decision. One other note here, and we shared this during our conversation with uh, Ryan O'Halloran, and that is uh, Quincy Williams goes on IR, hand injury, so he's done for the season for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, he's a Murray State guy, a likable guy, can really fly, can hit, but he's got a lot to learn, Austin. It's been a tough rookie year for Quincy Williams. Absolutely. It's, it's been a lot to learn, you know, and it hasn't been from the physicality standpoint. It hasn't been from the speed. I think he's adapted to the speed just fine. It's just from the X's and O's part. It's from knowing who you got in coverage. It's from recognizing the formation that the offense are giving you and especially the routes that the offenses are giving you. And those can come with film study and over time, you know, and like I always say, Brent, you make your most progress from your first year going into your second year. So from that perspective, I, I'm still going to be optimistic about Quincy Williams because I think he does have the intangibles. He does have the speed. He does have that the savvy to come downhill. 
Now it's just making sure he's, he's in the right spot so he can use that athleticism. He can use that speed to his benefit. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of film watching for Quincy in the offseason. Absolutely. How much better did you get from year one to year two, 2010 to 2011? Uh, was it a monumental jump? Was it a gradual jump? Uh, should we not label and write the book on Quincy Williams just yet? What was it like? No, for you? I mean, yeah, I think you don't, you know, you don't, I mean, you don't want to call anybody a bust, but like, I feel like you don't label anybody a bust or a bad pick after one year, you know, because that second year, that, that transition is so important because the first year you're coming out of college and you're, you're just learning how to be in the NFL. Like, yes, you're you're starting possibly if, if you're blessed enough to do that and you're starting and you're trying to secure the spot. But at the same time, this is all new to you. This is all foreign to you. Like, you're just trying to keep up with everything. So once you get acquainted, once you get acclimated, you know, and you get used to kind of dipping your toes in the pool well then the, the second year just it, it's a lot slower not only on the field but off the field as well so that's why i'm going to remain optimistic now from my perspective it was a little different for me right because i started my first year and i did have a lot of progress going into my second year because that was a chance for me and aaron Campman to kind of work out a little bit he showed me some things and you know and i kind of took them to heart but we're going through a lockout so we did. We didn't have like the maximum. I feel like benefit because well, we couldn't go in the stadium. We couldn't watch film. We couldn't weight train in the stadium. So we had to kind of go by our own means and do it. So that was a little different perspective from my end. But yes, I still think I I did a lot going my first to second year. Yeah, I could tell uh, that could uh, disconnect you a little bit, right? I mean, that could throw you for your loop. First of all, mentally, you're like, well, what's going to go on here? But we even going to play this year? And oh, that thing yeah. carried into late July, if I remember correctly, maybe even early August. So, uh, you know, that, that's a it's an interesting thought that, you, and you you reminded us about that in the past that you went through that lockout. But here we, you know, not this year, but for the rookies that come in next year and making that next jump, they'll be in the situation you were in, or Potentially, the rookie draft class of 2021 could be in a situation where are we even playing football this year. That would be a fascinating thing. Now it's some, whatever, 18 months away. But it will be an interesting watch as this new CBA is up again uh, in about a year and a half. Absolutely. And we were talking about that new CBA, man. I mean, the, the teams that really have those cultures in place... Uh, they're going to have the ultimate advantage, right? Because let's say there's another lockout, you know, and, and let's say things don't get sorted out until January or, God forbid, even later than that, maybe going into the preseason, even the regular season. Say that happens. Well, the teams that know already how to do it, how, how to prepare yourselves in the off season, who have the leadership to, you know, kind of lead the younger guys who can stay in touch even though you can't go to the stadium – those teams are going to be light years ahead of a new team, possibly like the Jaguars, who will probably get a new coaching staff, a new regime, and still, you know, trying to bring in guys themselves. So I feel like the last thing you want to see, especially if you're a Jaguars fan or you're a fan of a team who's, you know, still trying to rebuild, is a lockout because now you're behind the eight ball enough as it is trying to rebuild a team, but now you have to try to rebuild a team with no communication, with no abilities to go in the stadium, and that can be pretty hard. Yeah, one last question on that front, and again, this is something we can digest a little bit more uh, down the road, but you went from Jack Del Rio in 11 to Mike Malarkey in 12. As a young player, for these guys making that adjustment, how hard is that part of it? Uh, Gone from, from a... Is that just, I mean, yeah, just a new coach yeah. and a new style and a new... You know, you think you know what to expect, and now you don't know what to expect. I mean, heck, you went from Jack Del Rio and, and that situation, and it got a little ugly in, in 2000. You kind of knew what was going to happen. Sure. But in 2012, you had to make sure you lined up your helmet 
uh, the right way. You know, when you, you didn't have to worry <laughs> yeah. about that in 2011. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm being a little sarcastic, but at the same time, it, it, there are just different ways. Now, listen, I mean, we're about to do uh, Our company's getting sold. I mean, so we're going to have to adjust. Everybody adjusts to things, and if you play enough sports, you adjust to coaching changes. But I would just think as a young player, the NFL is so different. Mm-hmm. That uh, that just throws a, another wrench into the to the plans in terms of adapting. Yeah, going from Jack Doyle to Mike Malarkey, honestly, to me, it wasn't that big of a change because I considered both guys kind of like that old school mentality. So you knew that you're going to get a pretty rough training camp. Now, one could argue that you know Coach Malarkey's training camp was a little rougher than Jack Doyle's. I thought it was the same, but maybe I was just naive to the fact that I'm still young in the NFL. But I had no problem with the way Coach Malarkey did things. I mean, I thought he did great things great. You know, I mean, he ran a tough camp, and he made sure guys were ready. Now, some guys might have been banged up or whatever, but I had zero issues with, with uh, Coach Malarkey running the camp. But the thing that I had going for me was the fact that my position coach and Joe Cullen was the same because the position coach is the guy that you deal Ah. with on a daily basis. And that's actually the biggest change, Brent. Like, yeah, you know, there's going to be a new head coach and he's going to talk to you every once in a while. Maybe you got to put your helmets on the line and everything like that. But for the most part, it's the position coaches changing, right? It's the defensive coordinators that change. That's the biggest difference to me. Yeah, very good call right there. Hey, we come back, stay in your lane, and a thought or two on bowls going for state championship number 12, kickoff in a little bit more than an hour, live from Daytona. ESPN 690 rolls on from the road once again. I, I, I can remember my time back then because that was my first, you know, years in the league. You know, it was always a very difficult place to play, you know, just from a fan standpoint and all the other stuff. And then, you know, you've got to do a good job. You know, the locker room's not the best locker room, and you want to make sure. And we kind of went over that to try to describe to our players. I did that today, you know, the type of atmosphere that it's going to be, you know, the last game in the Oakland Coliseum. Well, that's Doug Marone talking about the uh, Coliseum and playing in there, and I think it's going to be crazy. I'm a, you asked me at the start of the show, Austin Lane, you know, you're looking forward to this one. I am. I, I'm in, looking forward to an atmosphere between a 4-9 and nine and 6-7 and seven football team. Now, there's still plenty to play for for the Raiders if they can figure it out quick enough, but they're running out of time to do so. Uh, they were 6-4 and four three weeks ago and right in the middle of it, and actually I think they had that sixth spot, the second wild card spot, and now they've uh, disappeared mm-hmm. and not playing good football and their defense is not very good at all so again Gardner Minshew this offense can they throw it down the field can they make something happen in the passing game uh, the Jaguars should have opportunities in terms of the pass defense of the Oakland Raiders Brent Martineau here in Daytona state championship game Bulls Bulldogs against Booker T Washington class 4A coming up at 7 o'clock we'll have all the highlights and reaction tonight on CBS 47 and Fox 30 in fact I have a live report 10 minutes before kickoff that's coming up at 6.50 on Fox 30, uh, and, a, and a word on bowls in just a moment. But before we do that, Austin Lane back in the Action Sports Shack studios. The locker room thing kind of caught me by surprise, and I understand Oakland is not like a great stadium, so it's got a terrible locker room, visiting locker room. Bo- Buffalo's a lot like that. Buffalo's visiting locker room is really small. Yeah. I know we live in a materialistic, like in recruiting, like you want the Taj Mahal, and that's impressive. And did that ever bother you? Did you ever notice, like when you walked into, like Denver's locker room is massive, sure. uh, which is kind of, for their visitors, which is unusual. It's probably one of the nicest in the league, I think, um, that at least I've seen. And and like, okay, you might note it, but does it matter? Like, did it matter? Uh, and be no. real here, like I yeah. mean, I know it shouldn't matter, probably, but does it matter? 
No, it doesn't. So the locker rooms don't matter. I mean, obviously there's going to be some teams out there like Buffalo where you go there and like they try to make it the you know the least accommodating as possible because they feel like that's an advantage. But in my perspective and a lot of players' perspectives, when you do that, it's almost like another uh, like sense of motivation, right? Like, look, you know, look at this crap hole right here. Like, they, they don't want to put us up. Now let's go out there and show them what's up. You know, like, yeah. so there's a little motivation there. The only locker room that really stood out to me was uh, my rookie year playing in Dallas. Because at the time, Dallas is away, or their away locker room was better than Jacksonville's home locker room. So, like, I, I'm not even lying. So, like, I was literally, like, enthralled with, like, Oh, so this is the NFL then. Okay, I see. I see how the money's going. Yeah, so that's yeah. like the only time it ever really stood out to me. But the shower. See, the showers is the biggest part. Like lockers, I could care less. But the showers after the game, those can be stingy, and that sucks. Yeah, I hear you. Like, yeah. Listen, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you, man. We go in these locker rooms all the time, and in training camp, it's the absolute worst because you have 90 guys in some of these small lockers uh, in locker rooms, and that's it's an, it's just impossible to travel through that locker room and get post game reaction. Well, some of these small ones are like that too. I mean, you get the sense of that, and how, the, it, and especially after a loss, because nobody wants to talk, and you're stepping over people, and you're trying to be respectful of as they're getting out of the shower and getting dressed, or all those things. So, I mean, I feel like it does come into play. It was just an interesting thing that I heard Doug Marone mention about like the locker room. And do you remember the locker room in Oakland? Ah, uh, not. I mean, it doesn't really stick out to me. Like, it didn't really stand out as a nice one or a bad one. I mean, I remember playing on the field more than that, just because. We played on a baseball field. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, go ahead. Stay in your lane yeah, before we get out of here. We got a few minutes. Is this back-to-back days? No, we didn't do it yesterday, did we? Nope. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll we're going to start. Streak is over. We're going to start a new streak now. <laughs> all right, Coos, we're good. Shout out to Cleo Mack of the Chicago Bears. Uh, paid off all of the active holiday layaway accounts at Walmart. Uh, it was right around 350 accounts. That told right around $80,000. So shout out to Cleo Mack. And I That's get really it, cool. But there's a lot of NFL players that are doing their thing right now. So shout out to everybody else as well. But I'm going to highlight Cleo Mack here for doing his thing. That's really cool. Yeah. Pump your brakes. Pump your brakes. Coos, turn the music down, please. This is a serious one. Pump your brakes. Nick Cannon, what are you doing? Calling out Eminem with not one but two diss tracks. few things here. If you do a diss track, don't have an entire group of people that I don't know on it. Also, if you're going to threaten lives, talk about someone's family and their situation, and act hard, then I better not listen to that song and then see you 20 seconds later hosting the Masked Singer on Fox. You can't call yourself the new Tupac, which you just did, because you know why? When Tupac released Hit Him Up, you didn't see Tupac hosting America's Funniest Home Videos after it. Nick Cannon, pump your brakes. You don't want that fire, man. Ah, very good. Pump your brakes. Uh, I really have no idea what you just said in the last two minutes, well, but I'm sure it was pretty good. Here it is, Brent. Basically, to set it straight, the guy that hosts The Mass Singer, you know that show, The Mass oh, Singer? Oh, yeah, I know that guy, yeah. He called out Eminem and gave him two diss tracks. And you know who Eminem is? You're, you're a big fan I of do. Eminem. I'm a fan of him. Yeah, exactly. So he basically called out the goat uh, of you know freestyle rapping and of diss track writing, and now we're just going to wait Eminem's response. And if he comes out with the response tonight, Brent, Spoiler alert, tomorrow's show might just be all that. 
I don't like that guy, but uh, I do encourage you to watch The Masked Singer on Fox 30. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what's cool? Uh, coming down to Daytona, we could hear ESPN 690 all the way down. Uh, we are covered all the way down in Daytona, all the way up to Savannah and into Charleston, South Carolina, believe it or not, 3 to 6 on ESPN 690. So you can hear us uh, just about anywhere with all our digital platforms and the video on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and all the rest. But on the way down, we're here for a reason. The Bulls, Bulldogs go for state championship number 12 Austin Lane they are the underdog real quick thought how much does coaching matter you think in high school where you can overcome being the underdog potentially even if maybe maybe not to say Booker T Washington that doesn't have good coaching yeah. but can you out coach him a little bit maybe if you don't have the horses at the high school level absolutely you know and that's with any game of football but even at the high school level where say you're you're outmanned maybe the team you're going against they have the better players they have the more you know D1 recruits per se but the, the ultimate equalizer is the fact that you have a good coach who can prepare you, who has the right scheme. So I would not count Bulls out here by any means. Oh, yeah, and I'm not either. They have great yeah. coaching. They have really good players, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering if they are the underdog from a player versus player matchup. Uh, can they make up for it a little bit on the coaching end of things? And I think in high school you can do that maybe even a little bit more than, say, the NFL. If you're outmanned in the NFL, you're probably outmanned in the NFL. Absolutely. Uh, in, my, in my opinion. Exactly, because, uh, you know, they say if you're on the same page, you got a chance. By the way, Tiger birdied the first hole of the President's Cup. We're off to a good start. Go Team USA. Are you going to be up to like, 3 o'clock in the morning watching this thing? Uh, whatever it takes, man. Whatever <laughs> I like it your takes. dedication. <laughs> I'll be back in studio tomorrow. More on TV tonight, CBS 47 and Fox 30. Good to have Philip Fulmer on, Ryan O'Halloran for Coos. Marcel Robinson here, Austin Lane back there. I'm Brett Martineau. Have a good night, everybody. We'll see you on TV. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.